too bad. Good night. You have to actually do the work. You have to actually chisel the fucking stone. Make, make it the fucking law. And then we have something that we can rely on. Rather than these the, the, the whims of, of nine robed assholes. Cast Iron Brains, a podcast that just last week was complaining about how boring the Supreme Court has been this month, and would like to add that there's been a notable dearth of ungodly sums of non-sequential cash left in duffel bags on our front porch lately, and that there hasn't been a parade of beautiful, scantily clad, and curiously horned-up ladies knocking on my door at all hours of the night for quite some time, either. My name is Bob. Sitting across the way from my good friend and co-host, that's Abe. How you doing tonight, Abe? Doing well, Bob. Yeah, here we are. Lori's here too, how you doing, Lori? Not great. Lori's not great. Tonight is Monday, June 27th, 2022. Recording on a Monday tonight. You know what, Abe? I'm missing... A meeting downtown, I think it's wrapping up right now. Actually, I probably could have gone to it if I'd made the commitment. There's a, a meeting about the residential zoning changes that are going on in our fair city. Oh, is that so? Including some changes that are reportedly coming to our neighborhood. There might be poor people living in our neighborhood. Oh, one of those things. Don't They're trying to... Yeah, by poor... As though what they're going... Well, whatever. I'll explain it in a second here, but... There was a uh, Facebook post in the neighborhood group last week about how, hey, everybody should know there's going to be a meeting on Monday down at the city center about how the zoning regulations have changed. And it, it affects two blocks of our neighborhood as you as you pull in. There's like this little L around the outside of the school that apparently has been changed to R2 zoning instead of just R1. So R1 is just for single-family homes, and I think maybe duplexes, like small little... Okay. But not apartment or multiple... Not apartment, right. So R1 is not for apartments and mostly for single-family homes. R2 apparently allows for buildings as tall as four stories that can include, like, you know, row houses or uh, apartment buildings that are that high. And that would, you know, in our neighborhood, which is basically something like 85% single family homes and then a whole bunch of duplexes on along one block basically in theory could significantly change the character of the neighborhood uh and she wanted to encourage us all to go there and yell about how we don't appreciate this change and there was a silly claim at the end an unsourced and unfact based claim that this is going to reduce property values Right. of all of the homes in our neighborhood and we need to go yell about it because we don't want four-story apartment buildings being built on quarter-acre lots that we have in this neighborhood. Where I'm just looking at a map. Like where It would be when you turn into our neighborhood along the right side of that road where there's currently nothing. No, but those lots all the way down. So like all the way down to the next right, where you turn right, and then the school would stay behind you, basically, and along there. There's already 
a bunch of houses there. Right. So the idea is that in the future, if somebody, if a developer wanted to come in and buy up one of those lots or a number of those lots, maybe a bunch of those lots in a row, right. they could then erect these four-story uh, apartment building monstrosities and then there would be parking issues and there'd be blah, 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 blah. And she, she makes this slightly overheated claim about how it's going to destroy the property values in our neighborhood, which is almost certainly not true. And it's uh, But that's always the claim, right? Well, because this kind of falls under the NIMBY thing. Like even people who otherwise would agree with uh, more housing for people to kind of ease the uh, high cost, uh, they don't want it in their specific neighborhood. Uh, yeah. Because of the property value issue, and because there might also be poor trying to imagine yes. the sorts of it's not even poor. It's ridiculous. The idea that they would build low income housing in this neighborhood when it's a super desirable neighborhood where they would build fancy fucking luxury apartments and then charge fifteen hundred dollars a month for one bedrooms like it would be some really nice new shit and yeah would it sort of change the feel of a place to have all of a sudden we've got four-story buildings in our neighborhood yeah but i don't think that that's what they would do like they would first of all you'd have to have a few of these lots in a row which is unlikely to happen all at once even if you want to overpay like crazy for them and secondly it's much more likely that what they do is they buy one of them and then they build uh, something with a little bit more yeah, like a couple of townhouses or or three or, or a few row houses there or something like that. And by the way, for what it's worth, I think in the front part of our neighborhood where there are a couple of, I mean, all of the lots are claimed, but like there are some spots there where if they built a mixed use building, which currently, like, I want them to go further. The R two doesn't allow for a building that has, say, a street level bodega or or convenience store type okay. thing convenience store would be real nice it would be amazing if we had a, a we would never have to go anywhere a small little apartment building in the in the first block of our neighborhood that had like a bodega or a convenience store or something like that or a, some sort of co-op situation where they sell basic necessities and then above it it was like two or three stories worth of uh, apartments be right. nothing wrong with that and yet you you encourage commerce and the the building of such small little convenience stores by having more people in the area for yeah. that thing to serve. So if it's just a neighborhood of single family homes that has no chance of growth whatsoever, uh, then it's unlikely that it's worth it to have the little convenience store there at the front of our neighborhood. The point is more people means more opportunity for business and there wouldn't be anything wrong with that. Not and you're not going to fundamentally change the part of the neighborhood that concerns most of us. Like, <laughs> sorry for the yeah. people who live out front, I guess. But the rest of us back in the in the nice part of the neighborhood, we're still not insulated. Even in the nice part of the neighborhood, right? And we're not even yeah. in the nice part of the neighborhood. And there's a much nicer part of the neighborhood back there. Right. There was a follow up post in the neighborhood Facebook group promoting a lemonade stand. It was very hot over the weekend. There's somebody promoting a lemonade stand and it got a few likes and and some positive comments and i said oh so now mixed use development is good huh <laughs> that, that didn't that didn't go over with anybody <laughs> nobody nobody thought that was worth a thumbs up or a ha ha is the overall reaction i mean it's kind of hard to tell i guess you didn't go to the meeting but like is it a positive reaction to this or, or is it mostly like no fuck that not not in my neighborhood my general feeling is that our neighborhood is largely against this sort of development. It's a very quaint neighborhood, and right. it would make it less quaint. There was there was one guy on the original post who said, 
well, this isn't necessarily true. And like, what, it, what, what do you mean by this exactly? And he said, like, we would look kind of stupid if a bunch of us from the neighborhood showed up shouting about how we don't want four-story tall monstrosities built in our neighborhood because that's in the long list of possibilities. It's like the least likely outcome. Right. And we should probably temper the, the neighborhood hysteria about this a little bit before we all go picketing or whatever, the, the council meeting. Right. Anyway. That's the that's the latest in the Charlottesville NIMBY YIMBY <laughs> wars. No one's uh, looking into like, is there a way to sweeten the pot for the neighborhood? Because somebody has to kind of be the first, and 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 it seems like people are like, I don't want our neighborhood to be the one to take on this responsibility, where the other neighborhoods will have their property values be whatever, uh, and so no one is willing to take it on. And I'm assuming anywhere they take this idea too that. People are going to show up and say no, but there is there's not a thing that the city can do for them. Like if you take this on, we'll give you something else, you know, like a park or something. I don't know. Like, is there nothing that can be done to say, to have people say, okay, you know what? There's some give and take, and uh, we're more willing to to be okay with it. Yeah, I don't know. What I don't know what the sort of thing these people would want. I mean, you want some sort of guarantee about your about the inherent value of the property that you've already bought. Like, I mean, that's the other thing. I don't know what they're complaining about. Our assessments go up 11 to 20% every single goddamn year. It's sucked. And, right. and the, therefore the taxes go up that much. And, and we've had record sales also all, you know, this every year, the last five years, since we've been in the neighborhood, six years now, it's just a line that goes up at this point. And yeah, right. it can't happen forever. But like, I, I just can't imagine that, uh, handful of luxury townhouses going up in the front of our neighborhood is going to vastly diminish the value of the place. Right. just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Let's see. As I hinted at at the top, Supreme Court got busy since we uh, last were here complaining about the fact that nothing good was coming out of the court. But they, they would almost have to, right? Because of session or they're about to end this week, right? So it was either... I thought they were going to wait until like the very last possible time. I think they still have cases this week so you think they still have i think six or seven cases to hand out decisions on this week right and there's no longer any i mean if there was ever any drama there's no drama as to yeah all the all the big cases were settled and and i thought in my head i was thinking june 30th thursday june 30th i mean sometimes they'll do like a um into july but usually at the end of June is when they come out with these decisions. But they did a Friday news dump, right? Wasn't it like on a Friday? Friday news dump. And they could have waited until the Friday news dump before the 4th of July, right? They could That's, have really, yeah. like, they really could have buried it. didn't it. want to ruin everybody's yeah. get-togethers. That would have been a little <laughs> smart. This is this smart. is Roberts doing everybody a favor well, by giving us a week before July 4th? Off of it, and then giving us an, a week to... To Calm digest my nerves a little bit right. helps. Yeah. Before we get into the Dobbs decision, which obviously will dominate most of the rest of our evening here, let's talk of a little bit about some of the other ones, which I don't know how much of this you've seen, Abe, but the first one that came out, I think it was Thursday, might have been Wednesday, was uh, New York State Rifle and Pistol versus Bruin, which concerns a question of concealed carry. Right. And whether or not a law that's been in effect in New York for over, I think it's over 100 years or nearly 100 years, could be allowed to stand, uh, whether it is a, a, a fair regulation on 
a person's second amendment right to keep and bear arms and the opinion issued by thomas i believe basically said that uh no it's not an okay law and it comes down to a, an issue of uh, a distinction between a, a may issue law versus a shall issue regulation right right so there are i think there are six or seven if you count dc or maybe it's five or six if you count dc states slash districts in the country that have may issue gun regulations that you have to provide a reason to yeah. an agent of the state to as to why it is you want to have this gun and then depending on the locality depending on the the state depending on the vagaries of the individual person reviewing your application for a gun permit you then get or don't get a permit issued to you to to have a handgun is this uh is it was it not the case that they were overly strict in what they allowed and that was kind of the rub also that uh there was a process in place to give you know hey why do you need this and a lot of them were being rejected so it depends so there are some states i think I, i again i don't have all of this at my fingertips so forgive me for making mistakes here but like it's either delaware or connecticut where this is a may issue state where you 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 ask for permission and then they grant it to you or they don't based on any number of factors including like passing a background check and and that sort of thing but not necessarily just that right so it it comes down, the the reason that it's a problem is that it comes down to what can be considered an arbitrary decision by a pencil pusher in a bureaucrat's office right deciding whether or not you get your second amendment right and that is what is not acceptable to thomas and the the other conservatives there's a six three directly along ideological lines so like i was saying it's like the delaware connecticut or something like let, let let's say that there are five thousand uh permits applied for in connecticut and in a given year and like four thousand nine hundred ninety eight of them were approved something like right. that right? right so like so what is the difference between may issue and shall issue in a state like and I'm not sure it's Connecticut. It's one of these states where it doesn't actually have any impact. It it, it is in function a may a, a shall issue, right? Even though it uh, on the books it is may issue. From a strictly constitutional perspective, I was not at all persuaded by the dissent. It doesn't mean that I'm necessarily persuaded by the decision here from Thomas, but the dissent by outgoing Supreme Breyer? Court Justice Breyer, whose name I constantly forget. <laughs> uh, he just cited a bunch of like gun violence statistics and gun violence deaths and and suicides and and the recent mass shooting in Buffalo. But what is what are you getting at here as far as the constitutional question is concerned? And the the answer seemed to be not very much. And Thomas sort of pointed that out in his yeah. in his opinion. Like what you're not saying anything of any relevance here whatsoever. All I, now that I think about it, was this a was this also an Alito? I don't know. They're both kind of bitchy when they want to be. Usually, when you're reading something in an opinion and it's particularly bitchy to other people, yeah. it's Alito, yeah. which is why I'm thinking now that I'm wrong. But I'm pretty sure this is a Thomas decision. Anyway, he can also be a little bitchy. He can also be quite bitchy. Yes, I'm not sure how much of a huge deal this is. Ultimately, I mean, people made a great big deal out of it in part because it came the day before the Dobbs verdict, and it essentially said, look, states, you don't get to decide right. on your own. Some part of federalism isn't actually at play here, right? You don't get to infringe upon the rights of 
uh, people's guaranteed Second Amendment rights just because you might feel like it on a particular day. And I'm actually, I'm like, I'm kind of sympathetic to that, especially given the fact that they're not coming down on any of the shall issue questions. And it, like, there's plenty of gun control in the 43 other states. I mean, yes, the the six or seven districts that are may issue states have had some success with uh, limiting gun violence, uh, apparently. But if you go look at the numbers, the the states that have this in place are among the least affected by gun violence in the country. And that is worth pointing out. Uh, but it also might just be a fact of the culture of that state, not necessarily this distinction between may issue oh. and shall issue. So it's like a chicken or the egg, which came first? Right. Maybe I'm not just- sure which. I think that a state which has this legal distinction between you can have this just by asking and you might have this just by asking itself, it, it, it suggests that there's something in the air already about. Maybe, or it's actually having an impact, right? Also, whether or not something is effective or not is not how they decide these things anyways, right? So, like, if there's something fundamentally wrong with the way that the law was uh, written, uh, they would overturn it. Uh, So, two points. Uh, One is, I assume, no one is making the case, and I don't think this was at issue, that you have a fundamental right to conceal your weapon, right? Like, you you have the right to have a gun, but it's not necessarily the case that you have have the right to conceal it. It seems like it sounds like what they were arguing is that you can't make an end run on the Second Amendment through this process, right? Because you can't arbitrarily deny people their right to have a gun without – I mean, what's the point of this whole process if you're just going to say no uh, without any reason? Like if there was some – you know, I don't know, if something flagged in their past or whatever and they said no, there's some sort of substantiation. But it sounded like that that wasn't the case. They were just kind of using this to kind of – limit the access to to these permits right and the second point basically it's a follow it's a continuation i guess of the first point is that this should kind of give some clarity to the states they can go back i mean new york and i'm I'm sure they will go back and rewrite the law and have the law be carried down in such a way where they're not gonna face this challenge in the future I hope, right? I mean, they're, they're not right. just going to just give up and, and do nothing, but like at least go back to the drawing board, take into consideration what they said. And I'm actually, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised it, it was split 6-3. You think this would be one of those unanimous, like on this specific case, on this specific case rather, with the facts presented, this seems to be kind of an open and shut case, no matter what your opinion is on guns or gun violence or the Second Amendment even, right? It should have been ruled in the, the only, way that— The only constitutional defense uh, from the dissenter's side is that they should be permitted to regulate guns as they see fit and that this was not an undue burden placed on an individual's right to the Second Amendment. Second Amendment. But they again, they didn't really make a very strong constitutional case, as best I could tell, in their dissent. It was mostly just a litany of— how gun crime is bad and how guns cause right. unnecessary death. And that, that is appealing. It is true. And w- there should be less of those things. But I'm not sure that it passes constitutional muster. Right. And again, they'll have the opportunity to to change that. I mean, it kind of reminds me of the – remember in the olden days when Roe versus Wade was still around? Um these states would come up with these goofy, like, you need to have admitting privileges and that, you know, because of the safety. You know, just making up reasons because they were against – uh, abortion altogether, right? It's kind of like now you're coming up with these reasons because you're against 
guns being readily available. And uh, that's a separate argument to have, but like at least on this point, as long as the Second Amendment still exists as, as it does, you kind of have to give a little more. Right. And not to do silly, unnecessary media criticism, but the, the willingness of people to say that there's, a, there's some sort of hypocrisy here between what happened with this Bruin case and what happened in the Dobbs case because one of them is a deference to states' rights or states' ability to make laws and oh, regulations, yeah. and, one, and one of them is, is saying, actually, states, you can't do that. At the end of the day, I'm sorry, but the Constitution is incredibly explicit there in the Second Amendment, agree with it or not, that you have a constitutional right to keep and bear arms. And according to recent precedent on the court, that includes personal handguns. Whether you agree with that, like, again, yeah. agree with it or not, it's right there, black and white, in the Constitution. And the idea that something that is explicitly protected in the Constitution is exactly the same as the abortion question, it, it just – that doesn't pass the smell test for me whatsoever. Right. I mean you can, you can say all day long that abortion was a constitutional right for 50 years. It didn't appear anywhere in the document at any point over the last 50 years. And it, like this is – I don't know. It's just not – to me, the hypocrisy charge is just silly well, sort the, of media head, headline I'm, nonsense. I mean – from the optics of it, yeah, but yeah, if you look into yeah, it, it, you can see why people think that. Just don't yeah. look too hard. All right, number uh, two here is a, a case about Miranda. I don't know how to pronounce either of these names. Uh, it's Vega <laughs> v. Teco, V E G A V T E K O H, and this one didn't get very much play at all, but is interesting. Sort of takes the legs out from a fundamental constitutional provision. Uh, which is your right to know your rights. Right. All right. So everybody knows. Everybody who's ever seen five minutes of American television in their lives knows what the Miranda rights are, yeah. right? Yeah. And I suppose, in theory, anybody who's ever been arrested also knows uh, no, they don't read them. what Miranda rights are. You're supposed to just know. I mean, they, they tell you when you're being arrested, right? No, they don't. They stopped doing that a long time ago. Well, if they're trying to get anything out of you, right, then they are supposed sure. to. Anyway, it's that's not sort of. like immediately when you get arrested. It's right. not like law and order where that's how you know you're getting arrested. Yeah. They don't do it. Yeah. Anyway, the bottom line here, and this is a quick one, is just that the conservative majority, again, 6-3, I believe, said that while it is a prophylactic rule, it is not, in fact, a constitutional right. And that the difference between a prophylactic rule, which is what they how they are describing Miranda, because that's how it's been described in the in the past. To be fair, uh, that you don't you, you're not entitled to compensation if those rights have been infringed upon by agents of the state. Right. Whereas if your constitutional right has been infringed upon and you're wrongfully convicted of something because you like name a constitutional right, it was infringed upon, and then you're you're eventually it's overturned and you're you're out on the streets and you can then sue the state or the the police force or whoever it was that infringed upon your constitutional right and you can get financial redress for that in in a civil court according to the latest here in this case the conservatives have decided that if your miranda rights are violated where you say in this specific case the guy gave a confession against his own interest right so he right. he he was being interviewed by a cop about a sexual harassment or sexual assault claim and the cop convinced him to sign a letter 
that was addressed to his victim saying he was sorry for unwanted touching. He was eventually found not guilty, uh, and, and they tried to get him twice, apparently, and he was found not guilty both times. This despite a witness statement and a signed confession, which is how did like... He, yeah, how did he get out of it? I didn't read a lot of the case, but how did he get out of it? I don't just, know. I think that... Just about his previous statement? Like, oh, fuck me. I think I think that the jury saw that despite the confession, they they came they concluded that it was a coerced and forced confession essentially and and bogus despite the fact that it was admitted into evidence uh by the judges in the trial but ultimately he was he was acquitted and then and then it became a question of whether or not he could sue the police for having coerced this confession out of him and violating his his Miranda rights. Wow. And so what he wanted to do was, you know, because it, he lost his fucking job and he lost his reputation and all the rest. So he wants to sue the cops for violating his rights in an important way and in sort of coercing this confession from him without letting him know what his rights were. And they said that you only have a procedural remedy in trial basically right like right. you can you can use this to get the confession thrown out right. but you cannot use it to then go on and sue the police for having denied you your rights which i don't un- like i don't understand their rationale at all was this like, to, to- uh was this eight one? What was the was was this also a five four six three kind of thing? This was, or was six it three, one? I believe. Yeah. Oh, six three. It okay. was K- Kagan wrote the dissent and had both liberals on her side. I was surprised because usually you sneak a with this sort of case you sneak a Gorsuch over to the yeah over to the liberal side because he has tended to be pretty okay on police versus citizen stuff uh, that sort of goes to his. I think his natural sort of libertarianism, he, he tends to not be as bad as you might expect him to be on questions like this. Apparently but th- he's exactly as bad. Yeah. He stayed <laughs> he stayed with the conservatives on this one. Yeah. And again, I'm not sure that I understand this distinction between a prophylactic, what they call a Miranda as a prophylactic rule to ensure your rights versus an actual constitutional right. I... I I don't was, understand the point. W- was anything made of the fact that he was never actually convicted based on this ill-gotten uh, scheme? Right? Because, like, what's the... I mean, I, yeah, I guess he well, he lost his... Did he lose his job? Did he re- get it back again and everything back, back to normal? Or I, I don't know. Like, what is the... No, he's claiming harm. He's claiming lost wages. He's claiming that his reputation was ruined and he lost his job and all the rest. Yeah. Yeah. From a presumption, you... You never were convicted by this, right? So, well, uh, I thought because I, I didn't read this. You know, there were a lot of cases this week. I didn't really follow this one. I thought he was convicted based on uh, the st- statement. But if you're innocent or you're found not guilty, yeah, there's this other harm, of course. But like that other harm could have happened even if. Except like, that the harm never the, the harm he, he never would have been arrested save for this bogus confession is sort of the point, right? Right. So. And he certainly wouldn't have lost his job, save for the bogus confession. So like, I, I understand the like. I, what I don't understand is why, because all all this is going to encourage, and this was pointed out by Kagan in the dissent, or in, yeah, in the dissent, is that this encourages police because they don't have the fear of a financial reprisal. Yeah, like, yeah, sure, they don't want to lose their, they don't want to lose good cases, I guess, and so they tend to n- want to not violate your civil liberties, but. It helps to have that 
sort of threat hanging over you. Two do want to do that. Right. It helps to have the threat of potential negative financial outcomes hanging over you. Uh, and I, I don't understand why not. It, it shouldn't make a difference, but I wonder if the outcome would have been different in any way if the consequence was greater. Again, I, not to minimize what happened to him, but like if there was a miscarriage of justice, because I am. I'm surprised by this jury. What are they, robots? Like, usually when you give this sort of stuff to the jury, they're like, oh, fuck it. The guy said it. You were really good lawyers. Yeah. I don't know how he got out of it. Kudos to him. But, like, uh, I do wonder if it would have been a winning case if it was something where it actually led to a uh, conviction out of that what should be inadmissible evidence, but whatever. I don't know if it would make a difference. Maybe it would still be the same uh, 6-3 kind of thing. But I do wonder. Yeah. All right, uh, and then today we had Kennedy, coach, old coach John Kennedy v. Bremerton, which is a case that we discussed on the show a couple months ago, I think. Yep. And that's the school prayer thing where the coach was out at midfield doing his praying, and the Supreme Court has decided with, I think Gorsuch wrote this one, that the school district was in the wrong here. And that Kennedy should have been permitted to continue praying. And it's it's worth noting that in the very first sentence of the decision as authored by Gorsuch, he assents to the facts as presented by the coach's lawyers. Like he 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 says he that because there was dispute about the nature of this prayer and what and and how much of a disruption it caused and to what extent it was like this big proselytizing display of religious fervor and to what extent it was just a coach quietly kneeling on the 50 yard line after a game. And it was framed by Gorsuch in the very first sentence of the opinion as a coach quietly kneeling at, at in the middle of the field. And so like once you've taken their framing of this, you sort of know exactly where this is going. And if, if you're going to accept the coach's narrative, uh, whole cloth, then yeah, you you were going to be more sympathetic to this claim that his his religious freedoms were infringed upon. And so I, what exactly what I said would happen? They always side with religion every yeah. single fucking time. Well, no, they. I mean, they they don't. I mean, Scalia had before he was murdered with the pillow uh, <laughs> at the end of the Obama administration was pretty solid on the establishment clause. There, there's a good deal of good precedent on keeping prayer out of school in the last 50 years. And this court seems intent on penduluming so the question back in the other direction. And that, that being in the direction that school officials have far more latitude about what they are permitted to do in terms of an expression of their religious belief uh, on school grounds and at school functions than, than has previously been all right. Would it have been any different if it was not as quiet as uh, the lawyer presented it to be? If it was more boisterous? Or no, I think like that the they ado- I think that they adopted his framing in order to give their position a better feeling, right? I don't, I, right. I'm sure that but they would have come is, down on this, even if there had been. As stated, it would have been a fuck of a lot different if he were Muslim. Right. That's what I'm sure. saying. So that, that, and I think we we talked about it when we talked about it last time. Uh, but like, if let's say it was. Uh, somewhere in Michigan, and it was a predominantly Muslim neighborhood, and midfield, they do the prayer. Like, uh, you know, 
figure out wherever the moon is or Mecca is and start praying in that general direction. Would this same court say that, well, that's too demonstrative and he was leading the prayer and it's different than what the other guy was? Like, it, I do wonder how consistent they'll be with this because it's not yeah, and how cynical. how cynical – like how cynical do we believe them to be? Would they use this this current favored defense of Thomas and Alito in particular about how it has to be rooted in historical tradition? So there's no historical tradition in the United States of uh, of local leaders praying to Mecca before football games. Then why would why would we allow it now? Right? Like would that would that be the argument that they fell back on? So you have religious freedom so long as those religions were around. Yeah, as long as it's in keeping with... I think that there might have been Islam around back... Was there Islam when the Constitution yeah, but not, was written? Yeah, but it's not part of our historic tradition to have Muslim faith leaders leading our football teams in prayer, right? Whereas, right. I just, like, it's annoying that school's not in session, so some Muslim guy can't go try this out now. Right. And I'm sure the... the, 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 the I hope someone yeah. does. I mean, it's inevitable. Somebody's going to try it. It may not necessarily be a Muslim, but some other face are going to see. Well, let's see. Let's test the waters. Are they yeah. full of shit? As a lot of people expect them to be to say, to say this is only for Christians, or are they going to still pretend? Oh, this is for everybody. And you can do you do see it. any contradiction in my opinion here, which is that the court is extremely wrong, and that they should have decided in the other direction, and that. Uh, teachers, as effectively agents of the state, shouldn't be permitted to proselytize to their the students placed in their charge. And my feeling that the case out of Maine last week that we briefly discussed basically got it right, that, that allowing state money to go to religious schools and therefore arguably directly to uh, religious education and, and the, the, the teaching of one particular faith at a religious school that I'm mostly okay with that. Uh, do you see a an unacceptable contradiction in me holding those two? No, because I mean, I, well, because I also hold that, that same opinion. Right. Because I, I think in the other in in the main case, the focus should be on public education and non-religious schools. But like in that case, again, if there are circumstances where there is a school that's providing educational services, uh, and then also the little religious stuff on the side, you can almost stomach it in a small scale very specific situations where that would be needed uh especially where the state is not already providing adequate services right. for educating the youth of the area right, right. because you're you're in it so much of that state is so rural that you cannot reasonably be expected to travel a hundred miles or whatever to the to the nearest public school right exactly and yeah so there are some circumstances where it would be okay and they found the right circumstance like that was a pretty good case to bring up uh but I, i'm not too concerned about that this uh, religious thing it's going to be a very disruptive thing i'm sure a lot of yahoos are going to take this and be very obnoxious in the fall with their leading of prayers and stuff right. like oh the supreme so Court there's the and, there's that freedom from religion foundation, and that's where I end up coming down on this, which is why why I'm okay with the sort of inherent contradiction of the two positions that we just discussed, which is that as a a parent in Maine, I can choose if I, I I can still choose to have my kid be free from religion, right? Despite the fact that the neighbors are sending their kid to a private school that has some religious indoctrination in it and using some state money to do it, 
If, on the other hand, I am a student at a at a public high school in Seattle or outside Seattle or whatever, and all of the teachers now feel that they have within the, within their the bounds of their freedom to express their religion to lead a prayer circle every day. Like you cannot you cannot tell me that that won't end up being coercive if right. we're just going to have free prayer and 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 teachers can do whatever they want in the public schools when it comes to expressing their religious beliefs. That will end up being coercive in important ways. Right, and there's just no convincing me otherwise. And I, I therefore, as a as a secular person in that school district, don't actually have right. freedom from religion, which is part of what the Establishment Clause guarantees. Right. I guess that's a, yeah, that's a pretty good framing. And not to go like a slippery slope situation here. Let's. But the reason that this that the Establishment Clause matters is that you don't want the government coming in and tell like from the reverse perspective, you don't want the government coming in and telling the local church what they have to say during their Sunday sermon right. in order to maintain their tax exempt status. Right. Like there's the 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 wall goes both ways and it benefits both sides. And I don't and think that it does. Starting to tear it down from one side. No, they want that. But it's a it's inherently it's a two way street, and once you've torn down the the wall of separation, then anybody can just walk through in either right. direction. Right. All right, we've uh, dilly dallied long enough. Despite Lori's protestations, we are going to discuss. Talk about Freddie Freeman now. Okay, great. Yeah, Freddie was super emotional on Friday night when he got his World Series ring. Probably because of the Dobbs decision coming down. <laughs> sure, that's what it was. He was all torn up about it. <laughs> I do want to say here, and I don't know if we've this, this is probably the exact right place to do it, is in between talking about Supreme Court decisions, is to express my feelings about Freddie Freeman being a Los Angeles Dodger. Which is that Freddie Freeman should fire his fucking shitty agent who got him, who landed him in Los Angeles with a higher tax rate and a smaller salary than he could have gotten staying in Atlanta, all because of uh, the agent trying to push for an extra year on the end of a contract that was going to be super lucrative anyway, and the agent making absurd claims about how take it or leave it or we're we're going elsewhere in the next hour, and the Braves were like. Uh, well, okay. if you're going to fucking hold us over a barrel, I guess we'll go sign this all-star out of California <laughs> who's five years younger than Freddie is and has similar numbers, you fucking moron. Like, the Braves didn't want to do this. Right. Freddie didn't want to do this. This all comes down to one stupid agent who also happens to represent the Braves' current shortstop, who's also going to be a free agent next year, Dansby Swanson, who's having a career year. And I just cannot wait for this fucking stupid shithead to ruin the chances that the Braves have of re-signing uh, Swanson as well. Do agents not run by their, uh, I'm going to run a scheme on them, I'm going to do a high I'm sure Freddie was like, look, what I want is to be a Brave, and I want this many years, and you know, make it happen. I don't want to be involved. I don't want to get my hands dirty. And then the agent oversteps his bounds, and Anthopolis is like, all right, fuck off, guy. Like, right, but we're not. That seems to be a very uh, risky thing, like take it or leave it. I mean, I don't know. Maybe this is how the world of sports agents works, and they do all this nonsense all the time. But, like, if you're going to make that sort of uh, statement, uh, then you should at least let your, your, your client know, by the way, <laughs> I kind of undid a lot of the good stuff that you guys were doing with the Braves, and you're going to have to go Freddie play Freddie would else. have every reason to fire him for cause and then sue him for the money lost based on this contract that he signed in California. I, I, I think Freddie's got a good case there. Yeah. 
Uh, Maybe we'll go to the Supreme Court next year. We'll talk about it. That's right. right. That was a fun chat. Bye. (laughs) Lori, I have a question for you. Why are you so opposed to talking about this? Because it doesn't fucking matter anymore. It's done. (laughs) I mean, I'm not saying it's like, like gone forever. Things will continue to happen. But talking about it certainly isn't helping. Right. It's not helping, but I think that it is worth pointing out that that is exactly what the Supreme Court has done here, which is it, it has taken something yeah. that, for example, you remember listening to Neil Bortz back in the 90s oh. and the early 2000s on the radio. Bortz is a fucking blowhard who's – he sure seems like a racist if you just follow him on Twitter. <laughs> I'm not saying that he's a racist. That's not me saying Neil Bortz is a racist. But he plays a good one on Twitter. Right. Uh, and his – yeah. It's, Best friend and longtime producer was uh, was a black Royal. fella, you know. Royal Martin. Yeah, old old Royal who died a few years ago. He died more uh, than a few years ago. <laughs> old man. Well, uh, <laughs> it was a long time ago. Oh, good. He didn't have to endure the fucking awful last fifteen years of American history or whatever it's been. Anyway, oh, Royal's been dead, dead for a while. <laughs> so I'm sure Neil still walks around saying, "You know, my dead best friend was black." Uh, <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> That's not the point. The yes. point is that uh, don't follow Bortz on Twitter because he's like pointedly provocative and terrible on Twitter. Like that's the brand. And listening to him on the radio, he was a much more lovable type and much more reasonable than he comes across on on the, the 140 character limit. Twitter ruins everything as always. Yeah. Everyone is worse but on Twitter. He used to say on his show. He wouldn't even say the word abortion. He would, he would, we're not going to discuss the A word. And if you call to talk about the A word, you won't be put on the air. And there's nothing to discuss. This is a settled issue. The Supreme Court made it a settled issue in 1973. And there's, there's no reason people are stuck in their ways. And nobody's ever changed anyone's mind about anything. And at the bottom of that is the fact that the Supreme Court decided this, and it's not going anywhere anytime soon. So I'm not going to waste my time or yours discussing abortion. The point is, Bortz was right. For a very long time, there was no rational reason, no productive reason whatsoever, to discuss abortion in the United States of America. The Supreme Court has basically given us that gift uh, by by overturning Roe v. Wade and, quote-unquote, sending these decisions back to the states. It has mandated that this become a question for public consumption, a productive question for public consumption once again. And in my opinion, if if there's nothing else positive to say about this, it provides an opportunity to correct what I see as one of the longer standing wrongs in American jurisprudence, which is that there is not a defensible legal rationale for the way that Roe was decided. Are there are there alternatives to how you could have decided Roe and 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 couched it in a different argument uh, perhaps the equal protection argument i think has far more merit than the the fact that they sort of they couched it in this nebulous right to privacy that itself already doesn't necessarily exist in the constitution uh, without having to do some gymnastics and that in a very serious way uh, one of the most important sentences that comes out of this many hundred a couple hundred pages of of dissents and opinion and concurrences on the Dobbs case is what Thomas says 
about how we should revisit a handful of these other substantive due process cases, including Obergefell and Lawrence v. Texas. Gay marriage, right. Right. So Obergefell is is gay marriage. Lawrence v. Texas is from roughly 2000, which was the anti-sodomy law that was overturned. And and also, going back even further than that, he name-checks the Griswold, Connecticut case, which, which is about before, birth control. Is that not one in, from the 60s? About Right. So that's, that's before and, in fact, provided basis, some yeah. of the – some of the base – you wouldn't say that Roe relied upon – Griswold necessarily in any strictly legal sense, but it but it it sort of follows from the same family tree of decisions. And what he's saying is that any of these he, he's against the idea that even such a thing as substantive due process exists. Now I am not, believe it or not, not a constitutional lawyer, not a lawyer of any sort. <laughs> so my explanation here just a nerd, just a huge boring nerd. My explanation who on a here Friday night reads Supreme Court decisions in full. Yeah. About the difference between what Thomas calls substantive due process and procedural due process is basically that procedural due process is anything that arises directly out of the Constitution as written or out of laws as written as you can actually find in the text of the document. So anything in the Fifth Amendment about the right to not self-incriminate, that is something that you don't have. It's not a substantive claim. It's an actual procedural claim about something that's in the text of the Constitution, right? Right. Whereas if it's something that is unenumerated, something that's not particularly and specifically pointed out in the text – and instead, we have to read into the document to find how a person might be impacted, uh, how, how rights that we assume a person has might actually be somewhere in there. What he's saying is that substantive due process is a, is a, it's a bad thing for the court to try to do because it allows far too much wiggle room about uh, what is and is not a constitutional right. I think he's wrong about that, but I think that at least he's being intellectually honest in a way that Alito and the other conservatives who signed on to the full overturning of Roe v. Wade but did not agree with Thomas's assertion that this should also lead to looking at these other cases. He's being intellectually honest. They, they are not. And he's trying, they're trying to make this as a very special case when the reality is – the same arguments that are overturning Roe here would overturn a number of other uh, long decided and and really like deeply held and importantly held rights in this country that have never really had any meaningful legal framework uh, placed underneath them and instead have relied on these substantive due process claims that the Supreme Court just sort of uh, as as the better angels of our nature just hands out when they see fit. Right. Okay, so I I assume all of these justices are very smart, very, very smart people, but I don't think smart has anything to do with a lot of the decisions. At least that's the pattern that I'm seeing. It seems like people want certain outcomes, and they will come up with justifications for those outcomes. So I don't, I don't see the intellectual honesty. Maybe he's being more forthcoming, but his true opinions on those other cases. I mean, he already dissented against a lot of those anyway. So, I mean, it's clear what uh, Thomas was thinking when he voted against all those cases that he brought up now. But 
there are a lot of cases where you can point to um, either imperfect justifications for the decision that was reached, but they have still, over the years, withstood different uh, cases that uh, challenged them. Uh, and this is one of those cases where, like, yeah, like you were saying earlier about it, it wasn't on solid footing, the arguments for kind of like, you know, the gay marriage one, right? It's not on solid footing, but once a decision is reached, you know, for the for the sake of stability and consistency, like, you need something more to overturn it or undo it, right? And there doesn't seem to be any sort of respect for stability or whatever outcomes may come from the decisions that, that's, that's reached by this court. They seem to care not at all about how their decisions are going to impact people, right? And maybe th- that should not be a consideration, but it almost seems to me like they live on a different planet with the decisions that they make. A lot of the uh, their predecessors probably believed in what they believe, right? But they recognize that you can't just willy-nilly undo Roe versus Wade because the harm that's going to come after so, is not right. worth let me that. Let me pose to you a, a different let, – let's take this back to the New York gun rights right. question, right? Because I think that the thrust of the dissent in the New York rifle case, the, the, the Schalke shall issue versus may, may issue question. The thrust of the dissent was there's a lot of murder, gun murder that happens in this country and attempts to mitigate that are good because we think that there should be less murder, right? right. And that, that was sort of the thrust of the dissent. Right. It wasn't couched in any constitutional terms. It was purely an emotional appeal to the fact that there's a lot of gun murder in this country. And that the, the conservatives on the other side said, well, but there's a more important principle at stake here. In this case, it's the fact that there's a Second Amendment to the Constitution which guarantees the right of the people to keep and bear arms, right? right, right. And, and I agree with you. I think that the conservative project often in its big biggest mistake is in treating the world as as an abstraction as as a yeah. theoretical playground where my ideas should do battle against your ideas and that the the best idea should win and that the principle is the thing that matters more than any actual real life impact and that, that that this is mostly just a theoretical exercise that we need that if we get the theoretical exercise correct then the outcomes are going to in the long run end up adhering to a, end up better off in the long right. run because they adhere to some sort of set of principles and have gone through the the intellectual ringer and and come out the other side and i agree with like the, the, my core problem with sort of libertarianism writ large is that it largely seems to be an intellectual game that people are playing right. where they, they have no interest whatsoever in how their positions actually end up playing out in the real world. It is, it's, it's largely just hypothetical abstractions. Not to make it a both sides thing, but like I always see a connection here. Uh, you don't remember the DA from – uh, San Francisco, who uh, got recalled, Bowden, Bodine, or whatever the hell his Chase name was. Chase Bodine, yeah. You know, there there are uh, some um, on the left who have the, these. Uh, the tri- the child of four domestic right. terrorists, That's by the way. Not, not his not fault. Not just not just two domestic <laughs> terrorists, but the, the kids, child right? of four domestic <laughs> terrorists. <laughs> right. Go, um, go ahead. But there are a lot of like uh, I always sometimes I, I kind of see some similarities in that way of thinking where they're like. Wouldn't it be nice if we like 
reform the criminal justice system in this like this pie in the sky wouldn't it be nice kind of way but then when you actually apply it they don't seem to be concerned about like well maybe you can't just be blindly permissive right i mean and 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 they will say that you can't blame the increase on crime on our policies but whatever i'm not making that argument but there are a lot of pie in the sky kind of like let's rethink the criminal justice system, and they're not considering the real-world impact that it has That's on people. idealist versus imaginary. Yeah. Like, the, the liberal idealist, like, it's like, yeah, this sounds crazy, but if we try it, right. it could actually, yeah, there's going to be a shaky middle where it's going right. to be bad. It's the same thing with, like, public schools and right. everything. Right. Like, it's, yeah, it might suck for a little while, but, but then, eventually, yeah. it will be good. Right. Whereas the libertarian types, it's just, oh, nope, that's yeah. the idea, yeah. and that's what it is. And yeah. if you don't like it, then it won't work for you. No, that's and true. That's yeah, your that, problem. Yeah, it's not an, uh, an exact com- um, comparison. But yeah, you're right. There is, but even in, in, in that example, they, they don't seem to anticipate the uh, rough patches, the 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 negative uh, aspect of some of the stuff that they pass, because then you lose the message. People don't care about whatever you're thinking, like right now things suck and you don't seem to care. Um, and so like, I see a lot of that where it's just like, I don't care what happens almost like I'm, because if you applied Bob that, Oh, well, technically there were some flaws in the argument. You can go back and find other flaws in other cases, but that alone should not be enough to overturn it when it's been around for a, a you know, couple of generations or more. Just, I think sti- yeah. there I'm is not, something to be said the, about stability in, in the Yeah, law. there is something to be said about stability, but like, you know, Dred Scott was longstanding precedent. Right, but okay, uh, so that, that's. Plus, that's, e. Ferguson was long. Like, there, there are plenty of examples of obvious moral wrongs being the longstanding law of the land and then eventually being corrected. And I'm not taking well, the position. Just to, just to that, be clear. That, uh, that 60 million abortions, uh, you know, like how dare you? We've, we've killed 60 million souls since Roe v. Wade was – like how can you see this as anything? But uh, like that's not the position. Right. And also but, this is not going to have an impact on the num- – is this going to make it more dangerous for people to have the abortion, but on the uh, on the Dred Scott, because I've seen that uh, point be made, like, and I think we talked about this, I don't know, like last year, but all of the changes that have happened over the years have been to expand rights or loosen the rules. Like, you know, the campaign finance was too, you're trying to do too much, you need to loosen it. The separate but equal thing, that's not workable. Get rid of it. Brown versus board. There's a lot of stuff that's like, the way it was was too constraining or or too limiting or it was having a uh, adverse impact on a community. This is the first in a while that I've seen where it's actually contracting or r- limiting, or at least are li- li- letting it letting the states limit it. Right? I mean, they're not. Yeah, saying- there's no. I, I I think that you're right. I think that it is. I'm not trying to downplay the relative impactfulness of this decision. I think that this is this is enormous, and it's. Yeah. It w- I was still shocked by it despite the fact that I knew that it was coming, right? I hadn't read the dissents and the concurrences, obviously, but I like this didn't change hardly at all. There's a few paragraphs right. that were added. Like it it sort of puts a lie to this idea that the Supreme Court is often this place where opinions are passed around and then arguments are hardened right. and changed <laughs> and, and that the dissent has a meaningful impact on the eventual outcome, at least in this case. I mean, I'm sure that that happens all of the time. But in this case, 
Alito was not moved an inch from his position. All of the exact same arguments are made in this as were made in the draft opinion. You, and the, he gives he gives very dismissive and disrespectful treatment to the dissents and even to Chief Justice yeah. Roberts's slight sort of disagreement with what's going on here, which I saw this presented as a 6-3 in a number of outlets. It's but, not 6-3. But it's, it is 6-3 on the actual case and 5-4. So it's 6-3 on the case. If it were up to Roberts, and this is worth pointing out, is that if it were up to Roberts, this case would have gone back. It would have affirmed the the Mississippi law and said this is the 15-week law in Mississippi is, is fine, but Roe and Casey remain the law of the land, which is that you can have this this standard of 15 weeks, whereas as Roe established it at, at whatever, at 24 or 22 weeks. and But what we're going to allow the states to make up their own uh, cutoff points here. That was what, that's Robert's hope here, right. was that he could get Kavanaugh and then the three, basically he's trying to convince the conservatives enough of the conservatives to stay on his side and say, let's just do this piece by piece and and not overturn right. Roe. And I think that that would have been the prudent move here. If I was on the court, I would have voted with the chief in this case rather than with the liberals. Not that, not that that matters, but... Do you... Okay, so two points. Uh, one, now going back to the leak, uh, do, do you, have you changed at all in which direction that the leak came from now or do you think it's whatever you thought initially? And, and two... Would this have been even more like holy shit were it not for the leak? Like, do you think that that, that kind of gave people time to prepare for the worst and and when it I, passed? That's why I think that my first instinct of liberal clerk just letting us know what's coming, so that everyone didn't lose their fucking mind. Right. So, so that's one. Uh, and people still did lose right. their fucking mind. But it would have been at least we knew about it. Right. But also the the alternative is that it, it could have kept everybody in place. Like the conservative argument being, kind of basically, like Bob said it was more or less the same argument, and everybody stayed in place because. When the leak came out, they had the number, it was 5-4, and it was 5-4 eventually. Uh, so did maybe the leak, if it did come the other way, it could have been to make sure everybody stayed in their, uh, in their place. I'm, I remain of two minds here, which is that <laughs> it, the most likely scenario is, as we said at the very start, as Lori just said, some liberal justice's clerk leaked this to let the air out of the balloon a little bit. And and maybe ultimately that was for the best because I do think that in the immediate aftermath of this, it could have been far more volatile. And I, I think it did help probably dissuade some of the more overt displays of, of potential violence that we might have seen over the weekend, uh, knowing that this was coming. And, but oddly also, it allowed – for a lot of pro-life types to get themselves excited. I heard a number of interviews with people who were at the Supreme Court over the weekend during these these protests and these counter-protests, people who'd flown in from out of state anticipating that either this week or next week this decision was going to come down. And so they got out ahead of it and were, were going out to celebrate basically in the streets the fact that this decision came down the way that it did. But I also I also think that it is perfectly plausible that this came from somewhere inside the Thomas household. Like if, <laughs> if it came from or or and plausibly from the from an Alito clerk or something like that. But like it wouldn't surprise me at all if it turned out that this was from the the desk of Ginny Thomas one way or another or from an Alito clerk who 
like ultimately all he really needed here all all the chief needed was to get Kavanaugh to agree with him if he could have gotten Brett Kavanaugh to agree that they should not overturn Roe and Roe and and by the way Kavanaugh was notably very much not on Thomas's side here because Thomas says what he says about how we can go ahead and invalidate a, a whole host of these other substantive due process cases in the future. Not here, obviously. He says this is just about abortion, but also we could do all this other fun stuff later. Whereas Kavanaugh says he just makes the point like, hey, uh, states, don't go getting any weird ideas about limiting interstate travel here in any meaningful way because that is a protected thing in the Constitution right. and you're not going to be able to stop women from traveling across state lines or anything like that. I think that Kavanaugh was gettable and I think that the leak – if it came from a conservative, it, it worked. It's a it, it's a plausible narrative to me that this was a leak that came from an Alito clerk or a Thomas clerk or somehow otherwise from the conservative end of things, not from the chief, but from the conservative end of the court, just to try to lock Kavanaugh in and keep him from getting wishy washy. Yeah, on I things. think I think you're right, and that's why I mean we're kind of playing the outcome here, uh, and it's I guess in the grand scheme besides the point, but. If it was from the, the 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 liberal side, it actually backfired because it locked in the vote. That's why there's some purchase I, I see in the argument that it came from a conservative to lock in the five, to say you you know people will know that you defected between February right. and and June. Like I said, I would have sided with the chief in this instance. I think that was the more prudent way to go, but I am and continue to be and have been for a very long time. Very sympathetic to the conservative, long-standing conservative position that Roe was was wrongly decided on the merits, no matter how you feel about the outcome, and I, I remain that way about the gay marriage question. And and if and I don't think that I've ever read Lawrence v. Texas, or if I did, it was a very very long time ago. So uh, forgive me. I, I, maybe I'll go back and read that next week, going on vacation. You know what I like to do on vacation is read <laughs> right. old Supreme Court cases. By the way, why? Uh, does. Uh, besides the obvious point, why did Thomas not include the Loving case? Do they differ in 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 in, in enough of a weighing? Like they, it was used. Loving was decided on equal protection, I think, okay. largely as okay. well. So it's not it's not exactly the same. The exact same family tree of cases, and yeah, there's a lot of hay to be made about joking about the fact that he doesn't inc- he doesn't want to talk about the loving decision because he is in fact uh, interracially married and that that every single time i see it it strikes me as gross like, like I, uh, what? why and i because i just like it makes me queasy when they personalize it in that way and i like for all of well, thomas's faults and his 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 ideological shortcomings I don't believe that he is a purely self – he's not purely self-interested in the way that – like narrowly self-interested in the way that that sort of claim of hypocrisy suggests that he is. And I don't believe that. I think that these are generally – like uh, uh, wildly disagree with their jurisprudence and their I- ideology and the way that they believe that the country ought to be. Maybe it's my it's my inherent disdain for politicians and my appreciation for serious professional people instead of politicians. But I just – I have a preference for 
the Supreme Court and the justices on it and a, and a sort of inherent underlying respect for them anyway, even though I think that Alito and Thomas are fucking awful. I, I, I maintain that they are they have a, a degree of professionalism and seriousness about them, that it's not purely about narrow self-interest all the time. I, I, I mean, I guess there's no way of, to know this, but if I do wonder if Loving was decided in an imperfect way. He would be kind of I don't know would he recuse himself like if he actually believed because he he benefited from it but uh, he could in theory make the case anyways that it was wrongly decided or whatever I guess he he would know that in 2022 it would be unlikely that any state would go backwards on that if they said it's up to the states to decide right but I I guess the thrust of that argument and yeah I would prefer people didn't personalize it but the argument the thrust behind it is. You're doing all this stuff and, and making all these decisions because it doesn't impact you. But if something impacted you, you'd be singing a different tune. And who knows if that's the case? Yeah, you who know? knows? But also, I will say this is – I mean this is, I think, the worst composition of justices in all of the years. There's no – it seems to be very outcome-dependent. I want a certain thing, and then I'll just write whatever nonsense to get there. But th- that – that, that's the feeling I get whenever I hear, read these things. You're just making shit up. You know, you're just saying right. whatever. So, but to an extent, that is how I felt reading a Burgerfell yeah, in, yeah, in yeah, yeah. six years ago yeah. or whatever, right? Like, and I, it's, it's, but that, it's but again, why I, the, I guess, just, okay, I, I, I'm not saying that to say, oh, whatever. I'm just saying, like, Abe is agreeing with you. You already have right. a an imperfect process. People are humans, they're biased, they'll insert their their prejudices towards these things and you know they'll try to mask it as best they can like take into consideration 50 years almost 50 years of a stable more or less law and you're going to undo it for whatever like that's the point i'm saying like you're just kind of making shit up anyways why are you so bothered that it wasn't perfectly argued you know yeah, and every time that I hear that this is overturns the apple cart and makes for pure fucking chaos, and it's it's changing something that has been the law of the land for fifty years, like I'm sorry, it's just it's not persuasive to me because fifty years ago in 1973, that's what they did then. Right? <laughs> they didn't even bother to couch it in in reasonably constitutional terms. They just said this is the outcome we want. This is our preferred policy and they dictated policy from the bench they, they dictated law from the bench about like, this arbitrary line of when it was okay and not okay well to to do the thing now now going forward why not go with the because it, it keeps happening over and over again this argument there isn't like an explicit right to privacy maybe not today maybe by the end of this decade maybe in 20 years who knows maybe it'll be like the conservative movement maybe in 40 years we'll get to a constitutional amendment guaranteeing a right to privacy and ending this nonsense like why don't we why don't why isn't that the, the move just to so say what is the what is the scope so i agree that a constitutional amendment would solve uh, along those lines would solve a lot of these problems but what is the scope of a of a right to privacy when when you when you say in the way that you can say uh, the people have a have the fundamental right to keep and bear arms, right? And it, and it has like wild scope. Like you right. just have no idea where that actually starts and ends. And it's been a, a subject of much debate for the last two hundred and twenty years. Like what in what is the scope? If if the plain text of the amendment is the American citizenship has a right to privacy, right. what what is the scope of that? So what does that functionally mean? I, I guess I don't, I don't have the uh, language quite down but it would be very in plain language it's not going to be overly uh, uh dumb but the way that i always think of it is like okay 
you have interstate dynamics where the federal government comes into play, interstate commerce, interstate whatever, and then there's like within the state, and then the states can do whatever the hell they want for the most part, right? As long as it doesn't violate some larger uh, belief. There, there, it's a similar concept to me. The way I've always thought of it was a interpersonal relationship. Government has a role to play. Intrapersonal anything. There has to be a overwhelming, compelling reason to interfere in that. So I mean, we basically get rid of all the drug laws, right? Unless there's a, you know, your selling drugs to somebody else that's an interpersonal thing and that could you know as a society you don't want the distribution of drugs or any whatever that's fine right right it's a good example so the state has a compelling interest to stop the importation of a thousand pounds of fentanyl right over the mexican border right, right? like that that's a rational right. and compelling interest of the state right. to act on it does not have that same compelling interest to interfere in your ability to shoot up some her- some heroin in the bathroom right. Uh, right. At, at your house right, right? because you can't care about me more than i care about me especially if you're arresting me like how what what is this bullshit like so like a a lot of laws are passed under the guise of like protecting society or whatever and also like with the what we just got passed or are are we still in it uh the pandemic um where there is a public health component so you can say that a vaccine mandate may be required in certain settings but it would have to be a reasonable accommodation or something to the individual right but you have to kind of weigh those two because there is a public interest in that. With uh, abortion, that argument was kind of already baked into the Roe v. Wade, which is once you hit the viability and you can move it back or f- do whatever, right? I mean, it doesn't matter where you move the weeks to. But the way that it's currently set up is just whatever the states say, right? As far as I know, I mean, there's no real guidance. Is there like if uh, somebody wanted to do 15 weeks like Roberts was cool with and uh, – uh, Associate Justice Howard uh, would be cool with. Th- that is 15 weeks. But a state can say six weeks, right? They can say all. It could say no matter what. It could say you could be raped and it's still you have to carry the baby to term, right? The Supreme Court didn't really s- give too much guidance on what a state can do, right? Right. So there is no real guiding principle behind this except to say the states have a right to do whatever they want, which is weird because, like, what's the difference between a pregnant woman in North Dakota and a pregnant woman in Virginia. That's what I was saying to Bob on Sunday when the woman from North Dakota was acting like this is some great victory for liberty. Right. Giving I think, the I think state S- South Dakota. One of the Dakotas. South Dakota. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Can we edit that? I'm so sorry. Christine Naume. The state Ooh, with the m- okay. Rushmore, right? Whoever. Acting like, oh, good. Now it's the state. Like, how is that better? Right. It's not better. Right. And that's, yeah, again. I mean, I, the, not to rehash what I, how I responded on Sunday, but it's always better, in my opinion, when the lawmaking happens closer to home than when the lawmaking happens somewhere else. Now, that does not go for our civil liberties. Right. I, there I think. wasn't a law, and now there is because the state made one. How is that better than well, not a law? The, even with Roe v. Wade, there are, you have to navigate the fucking goofy different local laws about how you can achieve an abortion and what hoops you have to jump through in order to get one and how far you have to drive because they've closed half of them in your state or whatever. Like there's never been, 
Right. There's never been a simple answer here, even when Roe v. Wade was was there. My point is just that the beauty of federalism and the, the beauty of representative government is that the closer you get to home, the louder your voice gets in the ear of the people who represent you. And so in that in that way, clawing these lawmaking abilities back to the states could be seen as good in, in that sense. On paper, that can be true, but almost – I don't want to say always, but – a far majority of the instances where states can do some bullshit, it's usually not, like, good for the people there. And, you know, like, there is also the counterpoint is that there's strength in numbers, right? So, like, if you had a national audience, it would be harder to pass some of these goofy religious-based rules, right? Uh, so you, you can find comfort either way like oh a smaller population like each state can do their own thing and i and my voice goes a long way in that state but if you live in a state that doesn't align with how you see things then you're fucked you know because the federal versus state versus local government makes a big difference when you look at it from the top down but if you're at the bottom, a state boot on your neck or a federal boot on your neck or a local boot on your neck is the same, right? It doesn't make a difference to you. You're still getting fucked, right? So yeah. if there's negative— My only objection to your to your privacy— You just agreed with what Abe said, which was the same as what I said. No, I'm, I'm not agreeing with it. I'm just okay. I'm consenting to the conversation. <laughs> like I'm, I'm, I'm acknowledging that as an argument, but okay. I don't think that it contradicts the idea that— the closer to home the laws are made, the better chance you have of having your voice heard. Like that, it's the what. Like I said, you go from the federal government to the state, down to the city council, down to the school board, right? Like in each step along the way, right. you have a better chance of actually being heard in a in a representative democracy. In theory, in theory, yeah, uh, I agree. In theory, in practice, usually. The state, the local governments are more strict than the federal government, generally, not always true. On your privacy amendment thing, I think it's uh, probably true that we need that, and it would solve a lot of these other cases, especially any of the ones that Thomas has brought up recently. I would, yeah. Uh, I also, th th I also think it's completely infeasible. It, it, it stands absolutely zero chance because it would be seen as the camel's nose under the tent for abortion, right? Like that. That's, it yeah, would, but like that's something that these anti-government weirdos could get into. Right, you is can like a right to privacy. Yeah, you can have yeah, targeted messaging. Be, it, I mean, what was that uh, article and video for coming out of China with all the goofy whatever? You can talk up that. A right to privacy could be you, you. A lot more people can benefit from a right to privacy than than not have that. You know, because a lot of these arguments that are coming up also with a you can butt fuck whomever you want in Texas, right? Right to privacy. The the state should not be involved in that. Just like they shouldn't be. I agree with you one hundred percent, and I'm saying that it would become a absolute non-starter because it would be painted by the extremist pro-lifers as unfettered access to abortion in the United States, right? Like that's how that's how they would – and unless you enumerated precisely what you meant in relation to abortion with a right to privacy, which you obviously don't want to do right. because you're trying to just have it be the plain language of, a, of, a, of an amendment that doesn't get into the gnarly details right. about in particular issues, then they're going to say that this is just a, a way to sneak in un, unfettered access to abortion and they would be – Against it, we wouldn't stand. You need three quarters of the states right. to do this. Yeah. It's not going to happen. Forty-year plan. Yeah. 
Do you think there's any, uh, because my, my idea, you're right, it, it had no chance this decade, maybe not the next decade either, but at some point uh, it will pass. Uh, but for the time being, do you think there is, have you heard or listened to any arguments that you, you found compelling as far as the way forward to kind of like mitigate or minimize the potential harm that will come out of this rule? So I have not heard compelling arguments, but I have one to offer. Oh, look at that. Call the, call the radio shows and podcasts that other people listen to then. Why? I'm here talking so enjoyably <laughs> with my friend and wife. Yeah, but no one hears this one. I mean, you know, Corey will hear it, and Tony the Tyler probably get to it eventually. They have a lot of sway. Good. I think <laughs> Steve, who's in Europe, might still listen, although Steve, he might... Steve Messina? Yeah. Oh. By the way, I don't know if he's listening Brian's or not. Family, huh? Yeah, yeah, the Brian's family listens, mostly. I uh, My sister listens. She's been texting me. I got Catherine, a guilted Catherine into Look listening recently. She's been listening. Guilt works. We're, don't let them tell you otherwise. Yeah, it does. This is uh, has nothing to do with anything. There are f- not too many people that I know. Actually, that's not true. There are a ton of people that I know who I would think that this is funny. But Steve, Steve Messina, the notion of him traveling in Europe is very funny to me for some reason. <laughs> this, is not, this is not a judgment it's of he's so Jersey. character in any way or another. And in uh, that way, so American. Right. It's just there's just something very funny to me about Steve Messina in your, various That's European funny. cities <laughs> doing Steve Messina things. Uh, no offense intended at all, Steve, and I hope none taken. Anyway, I do have I, I and I am in danger of seeming glib in this response in the way that like uh like Matt Iglesias often seems glib in moments of national tragedy when he's like oh you know actually fucking America rules even though there's a bunch of dead kids uh, and <laughs> like it's a bad look a lot of the time but I I honestly do think that this presents an incredible opportunity to right a long-standing wrong okay and and one way to do it is what you're suggesting is with this uh, constitutional amendment for for privacy i just don't see it happening like i agree with you you could solve this fairly quickly if you could get 3 quarters of the states behind a constitutional right to individual privacy and solve a whole host of other problems and and weirdly decided cases that that rely on something that's not currently in the constitution to get the job done but Barring that, seeing that that we will fall short of that sort of constitutional amendment, and it, it's sort of what I said a few months ago when we first talked about this, which is that what I wanted to see Stacey Abrams and the guy in Ohio, uh, Tim Ryan, who's who's trying to beat J.D. Vance to become the next senator from Ohio to, to fill Rob Portman's seat, who's retiring. Uh, you know he's retiring because he's not a complete fucking batshit insane Republican. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's yeah. he's pretty batshit insane as far as uh, American politics goes, but but he's not completely off the deep end, and so therefore he must leave the Senate. What I wanted them to do, and and it, it's something that Youngkin here in Virginia has actually done this week, which is that Youngkin has said, "I'm a pro-life governor in a purplish, leaning blue, long-term sort of state." But I want to do a 15-week abortion ban in Virginia, and I'm willing to compromise and go to 20 weeks, right? right. This, is what, this is what Youngkin suggested this week. And I think that every – there are only a handful of them, but like 
the governor of Maryland, uh, Hogan, the guy who lost some weight and, and imagines that he might be a president someday, which is hilarious because he, he's not he, – you're not going to be that, Larry. Sorry. Not in this environment, uh, no. Right. Larry's not listening to this show. He, You'd never know. I no. fucking hashtag him and tag him on Twitter <laughs> and you don't know who's going to click that link. In the near future, I don't know by if the way. Listen, I don't know if you'd listen to 90 minutes of our garbage <laughs> rambling just to hear me say his name at this point. You, you, you know uh, our show will take off, uh, this is a total aside, whenever the technology gets there to where a podcasts are transcribed automatically and people with the Google alerts, if they find – us mentioning them, they can go right, right. They can skip the first like hour and a half and hear you shit on them, and we'll get a sternly worded <laughs> letter. That's when you'll know. My my great hope in life is that Mark Strassman has a Google alert for his name, <laughs> and that my my posts on the show website alert him every time <laughs> that I mention him, and that he's heard every single one of these. I mean, maybe he just like downloads them and hasn't listened to them yet. Yeah. Like they're. You know, in case I just I just can't imagine that. that there are too many mentions of Mark Strassman <laughs> yeah. outside of CBSNews.com posting stories about like written by and performed by Mark Strassman. Yeah, I, I just don't think that there's a lot of that out there, and I hope that that these are getting to him somehow. <laughs> we can ride the hit coattails. Love him. Anyway, I think that that's the path is the Yunkin path, which is that in a state that is leaning in one direction, but happens to have at this moment leadership from the other direction, that you can find a middle path. You can find something that literally 70 to 80 percent of Americans believe that abortion should be legal sometimes, right? right? That sometimes might include that includes the people who believe it should be legal under any circumstances. But Something like 70% to 80% of Americans for the last 50 years believe that, right. that abortion should be legal in, in some cases. And like it's, it's, it's actually not that controversial of a thing. Now, getting down into the nitty-gritty details of it, yeah, it starts to get hairy. And it allows for extreme positions on either side to dominate the narrative. And I recognize that. But if the... Governor of Georgia, if, if Kemp, instead of being a maximalist on this issue, recognized that this matters a great deal to people who wouldn't vote for him 95% of the time uh, and would vote for Stacey Abrams ni uh, nine times out of ten, if he could stake out a middle ground in Georgia where instead of talking about heartbeat bills and six-week bills and that sort of thing, he would just – he would he would say, look – I think that the middle way here is a 15-week ban, and this, and I'm going to couch this in terms of uh, what happens in every other industrialized Western country in, on the planet, right? Where 15 weeks would actually be kind of long. Uh, and I know they uh, make the usual caveats about a stronger social safety net and stronger uh, yeah. centralized uh, medicine and that sort of thing. But the fact that we don't have a strong social safety net is not a reason to have a 22-week standard for when we should eliminate uh, the fetus inside of a like that. The, the, the two things just don't interact with one another in a rational way, and not certainly not to the normal everyday human being. But I think that in a lot of these places, even in the the sort of hardest red and hardest blue places, you could get a consensus built around something in the 15 to 20 week range. Like Virginia, I think it would be nuts for Virginia Democrats to take a maximalist position on this and say, no. And, and a couple of them, of course, automatically did. Like as soon as Youngkin proposed his 15 week ban on abortion. And, and instead of, by the way, it should not be 
do not couch this in terms of a, of a ban on abortion. You say, we are going to provide abortions to people who can show a reason that they should have an abortion up until 15 weeks. That's not a ban. That covers 93% of all abortions that ever happen in this country. That's the CDC numbers. 93% of abortions happen before 13 weeks, right? Is that less than or equal to 13 weeks? Less than 1% of abortions happen after 20 weeks in this country. You're talking about a tiny, tiny percentage. And by the way, none of those are for convenience. Those are because the the fetus is brain dead, right? Right. And because it's going to poison the mother if it stays in there for another two months or whatever. do they not count? No, they do count. That's still an abortion. But okay, so Bob, what are they supposed to do if you have a fetus who's poisoning you at 24 weeks? You have to just let it. Yeah, in some of these in some of these states where the trigger laws are already in effect, and abortion is not acceptable in any case, even for the life of the yeah. mother. No, I know. I'm asking about what you're proposing with the 15 or 20 week thing. I think that Yunkin, if he proposed a 15 week ban with a, or sorry, I, I go right to ban, even though I'm saying he should strike the word ban from his <laughs> mouth. But if he he set a limit at 15 weeks. He announced that he's willing to compromise and go to 20 weeks, which, of course, our shitty fucking congressman, Bob Good, immediately comes out afterwards and says, absolutely not. Why would we Why would we cave now? We've just won the day. We should be going in the other direction. And the Democrats in the, in the Virginia Senate, who they control the Senate at the moment in the Virginia uh, State House, said, absolutely not. Why would we go in that direction when we have control here? We're not I going to— question what was the direct question you're saying a 15 or 20 week right right then it, 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 as part of that he should also say you know and he's already said this except for cases of uh, rape and incest which by the way we, we overwhelmingly we figure out rape and incest before we get to 15 to or 20 sepsis. weeks right then also he also says except for in cases where the the mother's life is in danger and and you have a dead fetus anyway right. and and the question that I have had throughout this whole abortion thing, whenever I see these stats, so 93% of abortions happen within the first 13 weeks. Uh, once you go past 20 weeks, you're in the one percentile, right? Why not leave well enough alone then, right? If 15 weeks, like, I just don't understand what problem does 15 weeks or 18 weeks or, I, I mean, any of these weeks solve that improves the position that we've had for 50 years. Just leave it the fuck alone. Like what does 15 weeks get you that 20 weeks or 24 weeks or whatever it is. I mean, you can, if, if he was going to go up to 20 weeks, which again, it's such because, a, because it's not, because it's not arbitrary. It it is because, ar- it's very absurd. This whole thing. We're haggling like uh, we're buying cars here. No, 20 weeks. Well, no. because even though, even though Sam Alito insists that it has to be grounded in, in precedent and it has to be grounded in the, in the natural history of, of common law in the United States and that you have to find all of this shit in history. The fact of the matter is in English common law, which is what most of the states would have followed back in 1785, it was the case that you could abort fetuses before the quickening, right? right. Before the, and the quickening just refers to when that you can feel movement of the fetus inside the mother, right? right. So it, it, this is in fact, this has historical precedent. So you can just, you, it, and, and it's rational, right? It has some basis in something, right? And what it does is it, it gives something to the people who believe that it's the ending of a human life. It doesn't give them everything because there are maniacs who are going to insist that life begins at conception, right? And that conception is actually fertilization, right? And, and so that all, 
the state has some sort of a compelling interest to protect uh, a fertilized egg in the same way that it has to protect a, uh, a fetus that's developed to 24 weeks and is potentially viable outside the womb. But that's an insane position to take, right? And we can recognize that that's the position of a very small minority, a, a very durable and loud minority of people in this country, but not an important one, not when it's only 19 or 20 percent of the population. Right. But OK, I, I guess I'll ask this in a different way. I would imagine that the the point of this is to reduce abortions or to make it a smaller number of abortions. What uh, people on that side, what are they getting out of having it 15 weeks, right? It, it seems like it doesn't solve any problem. It creates problems, like needlessly creates problems for the few percent that are past that. What was the millions of fetuses are being aborted? Millions are going okay, to continue so, to be aborted. So, so, like, so what my question it- for you then is like, why is it that all of Western Europe and and industrialized nations all over the planet right. have similar cutoff points in the twelve to fifteen week range? Right. Right. Again, they could set it up exactly like they have it. But what are we doing? Like, what is the what is the mission statement here? We're just kind of just making shit up. Like, so the. It's almost the same number of abortions will continue to happen. What was the point of that? Like, isn't isn't the idea to reduce abortions? Like, is that not the idea, or just what's the point of? Sure. Then then have then have your when when your state does it, then you say we're going to throw in the fact that we're going to have comprehensive sex ed in the seventh grade. Right. We're going to have we're going to make sure that people have access to contraception. That 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 that's going to be a priority right. of our health department is the education and the distribution of sexual education materials to people who can become pregnant right. and and who can do impregnation, right? right. That that the physical maturity uh, means that they're going to be doing the thing. Yeah, and and maybe you can get some conservatives to admit that 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 abstinence education is a total fucking crock. <laughs> yeah. And yes. And and maybe you can't. Like I don't know. But yeah, I, but I, I just I don't know what the the pro life movement would would get out of if if Youngkin is for fifteen weeks well, or twenty weeks. The pro life movement isn't what you're talking about. That's what Bob was saying about the crazy people. Like the pro life movement right. is going to not compromise over. Right. right. The pro life movement has just had a shot of adrenaline put into their arms right. by this. Right. They also think that they're they that they now have the wind at their backs. And what I'm saying is that the wind is at the backs of the people who are on the other side, the, the vast and overwhelming majority of people in the middle, not the shout your abortion crowd who ins- who insists on lighting up the Empire State Building in celebratory colors when they pass a very ex- the most expansive abortion non restrictions in the country uh, last year, right? When Cuomo signed that, like that is a another vanishingly small minority of people who whose opinions really don't matter you, ultimately. If not- we can just get a more moderate. A voice in the game here, and I think it is best and and most likely to be expressed in states like Georgia, which is going to lean blue slash purple, and I and 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 Virginia, which which could go either way in the next few years, arguably probably leans blue. That if you can get these these sort of middle ground states to show that a good faith effort is being put forth to address the concerns of people who are worried about fetal life at the same time that they're acknowledging that abortion is going to happen and that it should be safe, legal, and rare. It should be brought back. Clinton was brilliant. It was a brilliant formulation, safe, legal, and rare. And it should be brought back and it should be on the on the lips of every 
everyone who's not an activist on this question. That that should be the the catchphrase that's on everybody's you lips. You don't think uh, codify the Roe versus Wade standard into law would get enough votes? That's going to flip with every Congress. That's the problem with codifying it into law because no, no. What the, I'm saying the, is like the, these states, like if if Youngkin said, let's just codify it into law and and, and leave it alone. You you don't, you think he would lose support on his side? Even though we're just talking yeah, about Youngkin, uh, cannot, Youngkin cannot say, let's codify Roe. He has to say, I'm going to take serious steps to protect life in Virginia by going further than Roe ever did. At the same time, protecting the vast majority of, uh, of abortions that happen. Like, there are no elective I abortions know, but, that happen it, it like in a, Virginia in the 28th week of pregnancy. It just doesn't happen. I know, but, like, right? but you can kill the stupid argument right. by, by putting forth a— you, that's the thing is this is an opportunity to have the argument in honest terms where you no longer have to listen to the maximalists on either side. Roe allowed for us to entrench in entirely maximalist positions on either side because neither of them could actually fucking do anything about it. And now something can actually be done. There's actually room to maneuver. And that's the opportunity for the moderates to come in and actually pass rational laws. Right. The only thing is, like, tw- I just don't see who would support twenty weeks on the other side. The people who are, uh, have issues with Roe v. the Roe v. Wade standard, twenty weeks is basically bordering that viability standard, anyways, right? Twenty two, twenty four. You're almost there, yeah. anyways. But yeah, so what do you, what do you think will? Because compromise has to happen in politics. Like that's that's the point is that you don't get exactly what you want, right? And and it, and to treat this as uh, as a completely. Uh, morally inconsequential medical decision that a woman makes on her own is to ignore the the squickiness that everybody actually inherently or not everybody but that the majority of people inherently feel about the procedure right? right and yeah you can say well it's not my business it's not my business you can say that all day long it it doesn't matter like uh, people recognize that they live in a society and they want that society to reflect some version of their morality and for 70% of Americans, that is like, well, I don't feel great about abortion, but I'm not about to tell women that they can't fucking do it if they need to do it, right? right? And that's the overwhelming majority of people in this country. And we can get there. We have this opportunity now. And Tim Ryan and Stacey Abrams are two examples of people who should be shouting about how I'm in favor of a – again, you take the word ban out of it, but whatever state you happen to be in, like Brian Kemp wants to prevent you from having an abortion once there's a heartbeat in your belly. And I'm saying that's not a great practice for the women of Georgia, and I think that we should have an 18-week limit or something like that, right? Like I, And personally, if it were, if it were purely up to me – there would be unfettered access to abortion. And you might consider me, me a moral monster on that front, but that's not what's at issue here. What's at issue is a law that I would support at the Georgia State Legislature, which would just stop abortions after 18 weeks because you can see the picture of the baby in the womb and it makes you feel bad about right. it, right? Like, that's fucking politics. And, it, and it, it means compromising on your most deeply held beliefs, not entrenching yourself in the concrete of those beliefs and never being willing to budge from them. I, I suspect the... Uh Georgia race and other competitive races across the country for the midterms will be basically attributing like the worst abortion laws being proposed, like in some of the more conservative states where they have no carve outs. As soon as you you conceive a child, you have to carry to term. They're going to try to attribute that to like they're all like this. This is what's coming in Georgia and, and Virginia and Ohio and whatever. I don't think 
there's going to be much to gain for them to take a position uh, that's more restrictive than Roe. They may settle on it, you know, during the hashing out of things next year or whatever if they get into office. But I don't know if there'll be any benefit to stake a claim at 18 weeks or whatever, even if you settle on that. So I think the, the argument will be mostly they're coming. They're going to try to turn this into the American Taliban or some Sharia law or, you know, some nonsense like, you know, like that sort of argument. Uh, okay, but of- then you have to stake out a position somewhere because the, then the Kemp attack ads in reverse are just going to be that Stacey Abrams wants to have partial birth abortion as the baby's laying there on the table after it's already been born, right? right? You have to stake a position Roe out somewhere that is not a fully maximalist. Right, one. Roe versus Wade. That's whatever we've been doing the last two generations. But Roe, no, because it's poison, Abe. You cannot— no, but, but that's the position to, to, get, to get ahead of the— the more uh, ridiculous arguments. Uh, you're right. They will probably try to paint. But her. Roe v. What I'm saying is Roe v. Wade is a. It's it's like Voldemort to these people. You can't say it. It's it's not a rational thing to them because it. If you support Roe v. Wade, then you support child murder because that's just how it's been tagged for the last fifty fucking years. No, I'm talking about like an Abrams type. Not. I mean, Kemp can't do that. But like Abrams could say. Camp is going to try to turn this into one of those Dakotas, and I don't. I want to turn it into the America that has been the last 50 years, and that's it. You don't have to be more complicated than that. And they, they'll still try yeah, to make the and case. I think, and I think that's that's fine, but you you do then make yourself vulnerable to the same sorts of attacks right. that, you have, that, that you've been enduring for the last 50 years. And what I'm saying is if you take a step further back from that, just a little bit, right. in a state like Georgia, right. which it's a miracle that it's even a question as to – and I think she's going to get her ass kicked. And I think that, that she will lose, but Herschel – Herschel will also lose. I think. I think they're going to split the ticket yeah, in that way. I don't. Uh, I don't it'll not, be close either way. But you think it's going to be a, a comfortable gap, like a five points? I think either way, it'll I be one or two Kemp, points. I, I expect Kemp will win by five or six points. Yes, and I and I I expect that if Herschel's going to lose, it's going to be by like one or two percent yeah. at the at the very most. So do you but, do, uh, on a? I guess since we're talking about Georgia, so Georgia is one of the states that has a right to privacy in the state constitution. And I was listening to one of the NPR shows, and they were like, there, there's some states that are similarly set up. The new approach is to go that way, to say, well, it's now that it's up to the states, well, our state has a right to privacy. So maybe my uh, pie-in-the-sky dream, we'll see how that plays out. Because if, if right to privacy in the state doesn't hold for abortion, then it would be pointless to have a constitutional amendment, right? Right. If they find that you have a right to privacy, but also fetal personhood begins right. at yeah. six weeks or something like that, then yeah, the, then you're, the game is up. Right. But I just I, I I firmly believe that you can win you can win this argument. And part of it is that you when you talk about the Mississippi abortion ban as a as a as the end of everything, right? As yeah. as some sort of a disaster for human rights and women's rights, when in reality it just brings Mississippi in line with the most liberal policies of Western Europe right. when it comes to abortion. Right. Like I just I don't know. It just strikes me that talking about it in purely maximalist terms is the wrong way to go. And I'm trying to think of other states where this would work. Like to me, Florida and Georgia and Virginia and like Colorado. Pennsylvania. Oh, Colorado seems to be a pretty. Uh, I used to be purple, but uh, seems to be pretty solid blue now. 
Right. Except that if, if you can find a way to, in your solidly blue state, to stake out a less than maximalist position on this question, and you do it in terms of women's health, you say, we're going to pass the Women's Health Act of 2022, or what have you, right. which I think is what they actually called the one that's yeah. in the in the United States Congress yeah. now. But it, it, you, you, you pass the Women's Health Act of Colorado of 2022, and it says... Uh, we're going to accept in cases of rape, incest, and to save the life of the mother, there won't be abortions in this state after 17 weeks or 18 weeks. Again, whatever it is, 15 weeks even. And you say, we're, further, we're going to provide prenatal support for every mother in this state up to this amount of money or whatever. All, all health insurance plans in this state have to have this sort of coverage for prenatal care and for uh, contraception and, and, and sex education and all the rest. I, th- I think that if a blue state sets that out and, and presents it as as a question of trying to protect women's health and, and the health of minorities and, and that sort of thing, right? You, to, to limit the disproportionate impact that this is going to right. have on, on black and brown women in this country. Like you couch it all in terms of the normal garbage liberal talking points. You can show that you're not a fucking monster when it comes to this question. And yeah, will you ever convince the 19% of Americans who are fully on board with the pro-life movement who believe now that God himself has injected himself in a positive way into the workings of America as a country and that we're on the way to the land of milk and honey. Right. No, you're not going to convince those fucking maniacs. Right. You never were. But those aren't the people that should be having this conversation. That's the only point that, that's the key point here is that in my opinion, if there's anything positive to come out of this, it's that it it takes power away from the maximalists right. in, in an important way and gives it back to the people who might actually make laws that have a positive impact on this question in in Every state in the country. Right. I And I, the, the only uh, concern I have with that is you're, you're making a needless concession. No one knew it was going to come on board. Uh, might as well just paint the other side of saying they are out of step with the majority of Americans who believe in what Roe versus Wade provided. And we want stability the way things were. They want to go back to whatever the fuck. And, you know, they're not going to stop here. They're going to go after gay marriage. They're going to go after contraceptives. They're not going to stop. Until you stop them. All I'm saying is that you, you, all I'm doing is I'm asking you to acknowledge that Roe v. Wade is, it's, there's no point in even talking about it anymore. Right, no, but. Because it doesn't, it, even though the majority of people would prefer that we were under that regime still, we're not. Right, but. There's no scenario, there's not any actual scenario in which we can be under the Roe v. Wade regime again. Right, but for the purpose of messaging, like, I am for that. Therefore, the other thing kind of uh, cuts through a lot of the noise because I I would imagine some media outlets would misconstrue your 18-week or whatever thing. It's like, oh, this is a slightly more uh, or less restrictive abortion ban, right? Like it's not that far off from where Louisiana is, right? So like you you wouldn't be concerned that you'd be labeled as being uh, or giving concessions to the – the conservatives, like, without getting anything in return, because they're, they're not going to accept that either, right? So, like, I think you could kind of make the mistake of giving a concession to, like, no real audience. Like, the, the people were like, what does that mean, 18 weeks? Is that, like, a ban or what? Like, I think it would confuse people. I'm saying people. that the, the, middle, the middle is gettable in a way that it wasn't before because now it's actually something that matters, right? right? That, 
that the that people who were unable or unwilling to have this conversation on the Neil Bortz program 25 years ago, for example, because nothing could actually change, those people are forced into this conversation in a way that Lori wishes that they weren't, right? She, she would prefer that we not have to talk about this, and I agree. But at the same time, we have before us an opportunity to right a wrong, and I think that... Uh, uh, there's actual legible space here to actually get it done. And, and by the way, now is the time to get ahead of this, right? right? Justice Thomas has made clear, and I, I think he's probably mostly alone. I, I obviously fully believe that Alito would happily jump on to overturn Obergefell among, yeah. among, among many of these other ones. Uh, the Supreme Court has made clear their position. And I don't mean that they're uh, a bunch of Handmaid's Tale uh, administrators who 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 want to uh, recreate the world in their theocratic way. I just mean that the the Supreme Court has said we're not in the business of of making policy. We we shouldn't be in the business of writing laws. And and fundamentally, the 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 Roberts Court is trying to reinvigorate Congress. That's the positive way of looking at this. And what, I, what it comes down to for me is that this is an ongoing failure of one branch of government, of a co-equal branch of government that has actually far more power than the Supreme Court could ever possibly dream right. of, right? The, the Supreme Court is not it's going to be far harder for the Supreme Court to say that a federal law that essentially codifies Roe back into as, as the law of the land is unconstitutional without doing some of the very things that they complain about, right? Without, without starting to invent whole new categories of personhood, right? right? Without saying, uh, actually, insolment happens six weeks in, and that's why we can't have a federal – like, that's right. nonsense. Right. The, the Supreme Court wouldn't be able to pull that off. Now, who knows I mean, what other gymnastics they would attempt yeah. right and there's there's no there's no denying that they would attempt them sure but it's a much higher bar to clear in my opinion is is getting is is the scotus saying that a law duly passed by the legislature is unconstitutional right. they have more work to do than simply pointing at roe and then pointing at the constitution and saying see there's no abortion right. word right. in this in this document right. right that's not a very high bar to clear there's a Ninth Amendment to the Constitution, right? That's the other thing that got completely missed in this conversation. I don't think I've, I've barely seen it addressed at all. The Ninth Amendment says the unenumer unenumerated rights are, are reserved by the people, right? Yeah. The, the, the things that we didn't say here, Madison, the brilliant motherfucker that he was, said, look, we've listed a bunch of rights and these are important and should not be infringed upon. But the fact that we didn't say any number of other rights doesn't disparage or deny the existence of a whole host of other right. rights that are reserved by the people, right. right? And you combine that Ninth Amendment with the Tenth Amendment, which basically says the same thing again, but then also gives it to the states, and you've got a nice big leash around what the federal government is permitted to stop you from doing. Right. I, what I, where I was trying to go there was that this is now an opportunity for Congress to get ahead of all of these other questions that have large and broad public support. Thomas wants to say that you can't get birth control because the decision was incorrectly made 70 years ago in Griswold v. Connecticut. That's what he wants to do. And the Congress 
for some reason, has never codified that into law, right? right? Whereas they could simply say, like, there's the state has no business whatsoever in, in interfering in your decisions about uh, when and when uh, about family planning, right? right? About when you could have contraception or not have contraception. Same thing to go with, with Lawrence v. Texas. Why isn't there a, a, a fucking federal law that explicitly says the state has no business interfering in what happens between you and a consenting partner in your bedroom? Because Right, it's obvious that that should be done, and the same goes for the gay marriage thing. That is a that is it's based on absolutely nothing in the Constitution. And Thomas and the conservatives could take this exact same logic and apply it to that. They say promise that this has no impact whatsoever on that decision. But the and any honest reading of it suggests that they would be more than happy to overturn a Burgafell if given the opportunity. And Congress can decide to not let them do that by passing a law. Right. Congress needs to take back control and take back the power here it's an opportunity for congress to actually fucking do stuff they should do it when uh going forward i think you're right they, they probably should codify all of these uh past decisions into law but in the past they usually didn't go backwards right the supreme court if they gave you if they made a ruling either it's a looser interpretation of a previous uh, a ruling or they've expanded access or expanded rights. They've never gone backwards like this. So the concern wasn't like, oh, we but need that, to... But it's not the job of the Supreme... No, As I've what said I'm saying this a is, thousand okay, times, it's not fi- the job of the Supreme <laughs> Court to be our better angels. No, but, okay. It's just not... It's And it's great when it happens. Like, I, I, la- if the last week teaches us nothing, if the Donald Trump... Like it's, it, it, uh, it makes me nuts. Because my complaint about the Obama presidency was that we don't want to give him this unfettered executive power because you don't know what who the next asshole is going to be. Even if you agree with everything that Obama did by executive fiat, you don't want that pen in some maniac's hand. And then we made Donald Trump the fucking president, and it proved the thesis. We don't want that executive power in the hand of a complete fucking maniac. The good news is that Donald Trump's personal fucking psychological, deep-seated psychological illness prevented him from actually really doing anything of consequence along those lines. But it doesn't mean that uh, dissent, we want to hand that power to, to Ron DeSantis, right? And the same goes for the Supreme Court. We love it as a culture. We love it when they get it right, when they agree with what our current conception of how the world ought to be lines up with, with Anthony Kennedy making some bullshit up about the sanctity of love between uh, human beings, right? That feels good and it feels right. But we didn't fucking earn it. And it can be yanked away from you just as easily because you didn't fucking earn it. And this is this is the this is the project of I'm sorry for ranting, but this is the project of self-government. This is what it's all about. It's supposed to be fucking hard. It's not supposed to be easy. And what is given to you easily can be taken away easily. And it should be hard. It should be difficult. And we should have to fight for it. And the Supreme Court handing it out to us on a silver platter when they deem fit is not fighting for it. I don't know if you're done. <laughs> Can I jump in now? Okay. I'm done. Okay. Are you fine? I just, I, I get so, no, I get, but, okay. I get really amped about this fucking shit because like we, we, we have this, this notion that everything should be easy and it should come easy. And that just because we have the moral clarity on the position that that's just how it ought to be. It's not, you have to actually do the work. You have to actually chisel the fucking stone, make, make it the fucking law. And then we have something that we can rely on rather than these, the, 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 whims of of nine robed assholes okay if 
you can't pass a law to, because they're the, the minority party has a lot of power in the Senate, right? I mean, as currently set up, it they can barely pass a budget, right? And so you, let's say in this hypothetical world that we live in, it is almost impossible to pass pieces of legislation into law, right? It is almost impossible. Everything takes forever and it's hard to do. The Supreme Court has made rulings over the years and they usually just by precedence and convention, they've stuck to those things. They've made things broader, as I said before, but they've never gone backwards, right? So to your point that what are you doing? You should have uh, codified these other things into law. They're, they should have, but it wasn't an immediate need because there wasn't a thinking like, oh, in 2015, they passed gay marriage, and in 2025, it's going to go the other way, right? That wasn't the thinking. So you're thinking this is a hat on a hat. This is an already resolved issue. Let's move on to more pressing concerns, right? But going forward, you can't take for granted uh, that any court decision is going to remain so because all normal convention is out the window. It's just they're going to go after all of those other cases. So now, if there was any doubt before, maybe there should never have been any doubt, but if there was any doubt, know that those things are up for grabs. Whenever they get to five, if they, they do the count, whenever they get five justices to agree, they're going to take some case that comes through the courts and they'll make a ruling uh, undermining or going backwards on, uh, maybe they'll have a separate but equal marriage certificate uh, system, You know, one for gays and one for straights. Who knows what they would come up with, but... On the Congress front, they can't get anything done. Like what? Like uh, if you can't in this real world, they can't do anything. So like if you can't pass anything through Congress, they have to make up reconciliation and other things to pass the most like generic things. Like let's build some bridges. Like no, I'm not. Right? I'm not saying it's, that there's not a vast there's that there's not a vast amount of reform that's necessary right. in order to be able to do the work. Right. I'm saying it's all fucking work, right? Right. And in order to restore the legitimacy of our institutions, not just the Supreme Court, but all of our institutions requires a great deal of work. I mean, not to get not to go big picture tree of liberty, the blood of the you know, that that sort of picture. Yeah. But like Jefferson warned it, 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 Jefferson's comment about a, a, every generation sort of needs its own revolution, it remains true, right? You need to keep fighting for the things that, you, that your next successive generation believes in so that you're not ruled by the tyranny of the people who came before you, right? Right. right. And the way that you do that is by actually the project of self-government. And it doesn't it, – it, 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 whatever. I, I made the point already. Right, I yelled you, it and it was the, awful and obnoxious. The, 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 the first step to the ultimate goal of passing these laws that you speak of uh, would be to reform the system now. Like they, there needs to be a different way to – you know, all of the efforts to change how votes happen, you know, give people more options, have the rank voting or other right. rank types choice, of- rank choice, open primaries, right? right? Nonpartisan primaries, that sort of thing. Right. Like the- we can keep going down the list. Right. There should be a Supreme Court. They should add a 10th Supreme Court justice and they should be on rotating 20 year terms. Right. Or where you replace one every two years. Right. Like there there are any number of a billion fixes and none of them are fucking possible right now. And I recognize right. that. But it doesn't mean that it's impossible. No, but it doesn't mean that what we should do instead right. is like just hope that the Supreme Court doesn't fuck us next year. Right. They're going to keep fucking us. Right. And and, and th- there should be a new, you know, instead of being like a, uh, a partisan-leaning activism, like we were for these issues, right? It should just be like a 
reform-minded advocacy where there different groups are just pushing these different things that you mentioned and other ideas that are floating around to try to get it to where people see some value in showing up to vote for somebody, right? Instead of this, to some, to a lot of people, they're like, oh, they're all the same, even though they're not the same, but that, that's their thinking. But if you had more uh, variety in the choices, if you if your vote actually wasn't wasted, so to speak, by uh, ranking your choices, that way, if your first choice doesn't go through, you at least don't get the worst of the of the bunch, right? Like, right. if there was a way to push for that, and you would think that that would be easier to do because it doesn't have the partisan kind of angle. I'm sure some of them will try to make it seem like it does, like, oh, some sort of liberal thing. But you could probably do more getting it ready for the next generation to then pass the law. Because I don't think we're going to be able to right. do it in this generation. This is, why, this is why I want some of the most obviously and vociferously partisan people in the country to take one for the team right. and, and present something like what I'm suggesting Stacey Abrams should be pushing for in Georgia, right? right? I think that Youngkin is taking a serious political risk by going against the natural instincts of what absolutely is his base and what would be his base nationally if he if he has national aspirations right. by 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 saying I will compromise on a 20 week limit to when we can have an abortion in the state of Virginia and presenting that as a pro-life position right. that's a that's an act of political bravery that I hope is rewarded it doesn't mean that I agree with Glenn right. Youngkin on fucking anything it just means that I recognize and it's likely he won't be rewarded either but yeah yeah yeah, and he probably won't, but it's going to require people in unfavorable political conditions to take sort of vaguely what 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 will be presented as sort of uh, heterodox or vague or, or sort of partisanly brave positions that in reality speak to the seventy percent of us who exist in the middle and just want things to get better, right? Yeah. And yeah, in in the current media environment and in the current political environment, like we talked about last week with the Texas maniac assholes and the platform that they came up with, it's not going to be easy, but it's not meant to be easy. Right. I think that if there is any hope, and it, this sounds silly, a couple of weeks ago we talked about Emily Bazelon and her article in the New York Times Magazine, long article, 10,000 word article about uh, the debate within, this is the, the, the most amazing part about this is that this was a article written about the debate among transgender caregivers about how and when they should proceed with affirmative care right and the and the worst gender ideologists on the other on the on the maniac side of the aisle said uh, actually there is no debate no no this is a 10,000 word article that explains exactly the parameters of the debate happening between the people who actually do the care that gender ideologists insist should be done without question, she was pointing directly at the debate as it's happening and explaining the parameters of that debate. And then these idiots are like, oh, no, there is no debate. You're just a transphobe. Right. Did you read that article, by the way? I have not. Ne no. You should. It's a great article. Very, very informative and interesting and, it, and, and, and rational and, again, treats the debate on its own terms. And – she did not get fucking canceled by her colleagues at the New York Times. There was no absurd uproar over this. And, and, it, and it, it points in the direction of – in the same way that that Ryan Grimm article that we talked about in the same episode 
points like in in the direction of perhaps we need to pull back from some of the the more extreme excesses on on either end of this or specifically on the on the liberal end of things on the on the activist progressive end of things when that conversation is allowed to happen in, in the intelligentsia of yeah. the New York Times readership and and uh, and the people who make that paper that's a good sign right, right. that and and maybe it it takes somebody like Emily Bazelon who while she's not like this massively powerful figure or anything like that, has a good deal of institutional heft. She's been around for quite some time. She works at Yale. She works at the New York Times Magazine. Anyway, I think that that, the lack of uh, absurd like cancellation uproar around that article, despite the fact that there was a a good bit of Twitter mobbing that happened from the – from the truly insane activist end of things, but there was no follow through. Uh, like there was no overreaction from the actual people at the magazine or whatever company or anything right. like that, which is not unlike right. what I was saying. This whole thing will subside, you know. Give it a couple more years, right? Perhaps. And 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 I'm saying that I, uh, whether that's true or not, maybe it does point in the direction that I'm that I'm hoping we can move towards. Also, is it possible that uh, I mean, or likely that? If you actually did the, I don't know if they've done any um, extensive polling on this, but like, th- this seems like a seventy thirty or eighty twenty issue. Like, I don't think there's that many people who would take on or agree with the more, the loudest voices on the left when it comes to, to transgender issues, right? Where they're just kind of like blindly like saying stuff. That right. Well, the the swim the inter- whatever the National Swimming Federation yeah, or whatever the fuck, or wh- or whatever it's called. Yeah, yeah, they just announced that they wouldn't allow. Transgender women who had gone through natural male puberty to compete, even going if they just forward. if they just started it, yeah, yeah, right. And so, like, that's another one that's like maybe this is moving in the direction of of sort of rationality, and that if we can mostly, unfortunately, it comes down to ignoring the people who are loudest about this shit, or at least asking them to uh, accept that. That they're not going to get their way just because they're yelling the loudest, right? And and maybe that would get them to kind of—I mean, not all of them, because—and that's you know that, that's one one of the things when like the craziest person on either side of whatever, there's nothing anybody can do to stop them. Like, so if you're like a more moderate person on either side, there's always going to be some crazy person talking nonsense, right? And I guess if it's all about if it ta- if it gets traction beyond the crazy talk, right? If it's actually if there's some actual consequence of the talk, right? But uh, I, I, I think uh, at some point uh, they're going to have to change the course and the arguments that are being made need to be a little uh, stronger because some of the arguments are just don't make any sense. Um, and maybe that's why it's kind of falling out of favor because most of these stories in, you know, uh, Chappelle's joke thing, you know, uh, the Netflix defending him, like there hasn't been a lot of like, uh, cancellation, so to speak. Uh, when's the last time someone has been canceled on a trans-related issue? It seems like to not happen at all. So maybe it was never as big of an issue as it was made out to be. Obviously, we haven't had much light content here, and I yelled a lot. But let's lighten things up here with one more Supreme Court case, which on Thursday— That's this, not lightening it is. anything up. It is here. Yeah, because it's, it's good because the, the Supreme Court, Abe, on Thursday, they ruled in favor of a death row inmate. And if if that's all that you, if that's all that you took from the story, because all you did was read the headline or the or the first paragraph, then maybe you would think, oh, uh, this conservative Supreme Court doesn't often rule in favor of death row inmates. This, what a nice outcome, right? Like, and then you just 
you keep reading, and it it turns out that it was a Georgia man, yeah, who wanted to pick how the state would kill him, and and the <laughs> Supreme Court said, yeah, okay, yeah, he he wanted to be killed by firing squad, and they're like, sure, actually. Uh, the dissenting uh, group were some of the conservatives, right? And I think their concern was like, you're trying to drag the process. Like, come on, let's just kill you in whatever way they want to kill you. Like, you're just delaying the inevitable. Was that right. not the, the, yeah, the argument they were making in dissent? It would have been a unanimous K- decision if they were going to kill him anyways. Kagan wrote the opinion. Coney Barrett dissented with Thomas Alito and Gorsuch on her side. Ultimately, it just comes down to this interpretation of a law called Section 1983, which uh, broadly authorizes suit against state officials for the deprivation of any rights secured by the Constitution. This guy who was committing a felony bank robbery ended up killing somebody who he was trying to carjack. His name is Michael Nance, I believe. This is back in like 2000 or 2002 when he was sentenced to die for felony murder because he killed a person in the furtherance of a felony and obviously in in my opinion he he shouldn't be put to death obviously whatever but he says that he's got some sort of condition where he's got like bad veins or something so any injections are unreasonably and cruelly painful to him and that he would prefer to be shot and the the court decided that lethal injection would be in his particular case cruel and unusual punishment and that a, a firing squad would not necessarily be. But those dissenting are like, fuck that, you die anyways? The dissent by Barrett is more on the technical side of things, uh, insists that because Georgia law doesn't actually provide for execution by firing squad, this shouldn't be a claim under this uh, section 1983, but instead should be a habeas claim, a claim that, of course, this court would no doubt be happy to deny. Uh, For the majority, Kagan writes that it would be weird and inconsistent to insist that a Section 1983 appeal is perfectly valid in one state but not in another just because states have different methods of execution. Would this headline be misleading if they said all a unanimous decision, this guy should die? Because it seems to be like no one's uh – Wanting him to live, right? They're just talking yeah, about well, that's not to- very that's not very feel good. Hey, I mean, the feel good story is that the Supreme Court sided with a death row inmate. Finally, you've been listening to Cast Iron Brains, a podcast with Bob and Abe. Find the show on Facebook or Twitter. Head on over to brainiron.com or castironbrains.com for a show note. I will include links to all of the various things or most of the various things that I remember that we talked about in today's show. The opening and closing themes of the show were composed by Mark Gillig. Abe. Yes. The uh, Elvis movie came out this week. Did you go see that? I did. I actually, I, I saw two movies in the theater uh, last week. Oh, wow. I, I went to see Elvis and The Black Phone. I, I went to go see Elvis, which... It was an enjoyable movie. I don't know if it was a good movie. I'll need to see it again. It's going to be on HBO in a month anyways, right? But um, it was an entertaining movie. But uh, because when Elvis was coming up was during like the 50s and 60s and, you know, he dies in the 70s, they would weave in uh, some of the goings on in America, you know, like the segregation stuff in the 50s, the civil rights in the 60s. And maybe it's based on reality, but it just was comical how, like, Elvis would be like, oh, 
Dr. Ken was shot. I got to say something. You know, I I used to frequent those places in Memphis. Like, and then the Tom Hanks. So this is a, you're telling me this is Elvis Gump, basically. Yeah, it's very like, yeah. all right. Like, he would be like. But Elvis was in Forrest Gump. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he was. Yeah. And Tom Hanks is in Elvis. Okay, so it's all this. So really, this is just Forrest Gump. Okay, so it's all coming together. I didn't make the connection until just now, but. It was doing a lot of that because I think early in the movie, Elvis was so poor he kind of lived with black people in the South uh, for a while. And then they would show him like him listening to some like blues guy or jazz guy and he'd be captivated by the music and he would just steal the music. And I guess to explain right. that away, they're, they're like, we need, to, we need a scene. So selfishly. Yeah, like we need a scene where he cares about what happens to Dr. King. Like we need to balance the movie because the first half of the movie is him listening to somebody else, and in one case, he just stole the whole song outright. Just like, oh shit, look at that! I'll do that, but I'll gyrate my legs and uh, right. I'll make a career out of it. But the, the guy who played it uh, did a pretty good job. But the story focused too much on this apparently shitty manager of Elvis, who like built millions out of him because of his gambling addiction. But overall, it was not bad. How was how was Hanks's performance as that? Because it looks like it's one of the over the top Hanks performances, which don't always go well. Yeah. So I'm, the first, I'm looking at you, Lady Killers. As soon as uh, as soon as he started uh, speaking with that accent, and I assume that's how the other guy talks, I was like, oh no, this is not gonna work. <laughs> <laughs> but like after like 30 minutes, you you kind of get used to it and you kind of overlook it. But it, Initially, you're going to kind of like wince, like, oh, I don't know about this. Like, it just has yeah. that, like, I don't know about this. Like, you're making it a weird thing, and they caked him up with, like, fat and, like, skin to make him like the guy. They did that right. guy no favors, by the way. He's dead now, but, like, he was made to be, like, the worst <laughs> fucking person ever. He was like so some carny really barker. Like, I like Baz Luhrmann movies, generally speaking. I saw Moulin Rouge by myself in the movie theaters in high school. I was that guy who went to go see Moulin Rouge by myself in the movie theaters. I saw it all the time by myself because I worked at a movie theater. And, like, he's got, like, an element of, like, hard on your sleeve, like, just full bore theater kid manic energy that doesn't work when almost anybody else does it for me, but right. when it's Boz Lerman, I, I just think that his movies are generally well, great. Well, you may like in that this way. one, yeah. I mean, it was entertaining. No, they're it was just like they're all great because they're movies. It's what movies should look like. Right. It's what movies should be like. I'm not wondering. Oh, was this a stage play? No, it's a fucking movie. Here it is. Yeah. It's great. They're great. Anyway, besides Elvis, you said you saw two movies. What was that? So I went to go see The Black Phone. For whatever reason, I don't know what it was, but that theater was... Ethan Hawke horror movie? It was like a horror movie. It was basically set in the 70s, like kids are getting abducted, and the story is basically this one guy who's abducting them all. I think it's Ethan Hawke that's doing the abduction. Um, And Spoilers. (laughs) There's this phone. I mean, it's a bullshit thing, but like this phone, and the, the most recent person who got abducted the main guy the, the kid like some 13 year old uh, is communicating to other victims who have since died and they'll be giving them clues and how to like don't do this it's a trap do that and the whole movie kind of builds until where he escapes it, they did a pretty good job at it. i liked it it's not too good bad. movie yeah not too shabby i've heard some good things about it we uh we didn't watch much Lori. No, we watched bill maher well that's what we did we Lori, watched bill maher Lori oh, did a nice. half marathon this weekend i did no kidding how did i go it was okay 
half marathon. She finished. Look at that. And she ran reasonably quick. She ran faster than she I thought did. she I would. I ran faster than I should have, Look so it really that. sucked at the end, which is you, not my thing. Normally, are, I'm like by the when I get to the end, I'm just like flying. Yeah. Are you uh, gearing up for a full marathon at some point in the near future? No. So half is as far as you'll go. Yep. Especially after this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> it's in this tiny little town called Farmville, Virginia, which is the home of a Longwood university, university, Longwood University, which oh, is the third, heard. something like the third oldest land grant university or something Do in the state. they have that plastered everywhere? <laughs> I don't know. Three. It's just what I saw on the website. <laughs> yeah. They've been going since the middle of the 19th century or something like that, and they are... It's like a small school. And it's it's a, in the middle of fucking nowhere. Yeah, the middle of absolutely so nowhere. Awful. Is it a pleasant uh, but, campus or anything nice? So around? I got to walk around because I went I parked in downtown Farmville, which is like uh, three or four square blocks of – it looks to be built roughly at the same time that Athens was. Like it's that, that level of, of sort of throwback downtown look to it, but with wider streets. It's kind of nice actually. Uh, it's mostly just fucking furniture stores and the uh, big furniture area. People okay. go there for furniture. They drive an hour and a half through the middle of fucking nowhere for furniture when they have perfectly good furniture that will they'll deliver to your house from Amazon. It's insane. Yeah, it yeah. is insane. So, By the way, what uh, what was the name of this? Like the Bumblefuck Half, or like what is this? Night like- Train Half Marathon. Well, that was part of an ultra, so there were people okay. running way into the night. The ultra started at 5:30, which was 30k. No thanks. Yeah. The no, 30 miles. Ma- 30 50k. Yeah, 30 okay. miles, 50k. Okay. Um I did not do that. No. I did the half, which started at 6:15. It's a it's a trail run. It was cool. So it's it's on this nice. like long nature trail it's basically. Paved, not paved, uh, like crushed gravel. Right. Okay. Shady mostly. Yeah, and it runs right through this town. So I went and parked. I didn't sign up to run this fucking race uh, after she tried to get me to sign up for this race, like in the immediate days after we ran the 10 miler in Charlottesville. And I was like, my knees still weren't working. I didn't sign up for this until after I did the 10 miler in D.C. Oh, oh whatever. You were trying to get okay, me to you sign just up. Tell weird lies. That's not a weird like lie. Okay. In my head, you asked me to do this fucking race right after some other race. I said, "Do you want to do a half marathon?" And you said, "No." Yeah. That's not me <laughs> trying to get you to do anything. That is exactly what asked. you're trying to get me to do. You're trying to sign me up for races, and I said no. Anyway, uh, so I went and parked downtown and walked around the pleasant little downtown area. What I mean, I don't know. How, how else would you describe somebody asked you to do a fucking race? And I was saying, no, that sounds just, like somebody's trying to get me to do a race. I'm just imagining Lori just casually mentioning it, like, oh, why are you trying to get me to do everything? It's just like, whoa, okay. You don't have to do it. Just am, I, am I not permitted to embellish for comedic effect no, on my fucking I'm podcast? I'm right here, and I actually know what happened. <laughs> What did happen was fucking right an annoying child. He's like, no, actually, there's a. You yeah, see I'm a the dragonfly. One who actually, everyone. I Bob, when we were getting ready to leave, Bob said, 
feel like kind of a bum for not running this. And I said, you are kind of a bum for not running you this. You see? That's She's trying to get me to do this fucking race. That's the I got, but the, the ship had sailed at that point. Any viewing angles throughout, or are you just kind of sitting in the car or walking around? Like, is there anything? Yeah, so I went, like I said, I, I went and parked downtown, and I was looking at the map. And I saw that she was gonna that the course runs right through the downtown. They had a cop standing there, stopping traffic, the occasional traffic to allow people to cross this main road through the street. And I was I was just walking around down there, so I saw Lori twice, once on her way out and once on her way in. I made sure that I was in the right spot to say hello. Uh, it was funny. The cop I, I saw two different instances when this cop who was directing traffic was just completely ignored. And then oh, the car would just. just- the car just went right through and almost ran over runners. And the cop was like, oh, what are you doing? What's your problem? And then they would just drive away. There's no consequences whatsoever. Well, you can't leave the post, you know? Like, they, they can leave right, the post. Right, you can't go chase them down and write them a ticket because then there'll be dead runners all over the street in five minutes. But uh, <laughs> victimless crime, ultimately. That's right. Anyway, cute little town. I fucking four churches that i walked by in my little like it's tiny little town and of course you can walk to four fucking churches this goofy place a problem was that everything was goddamn closed except predictably i walked down to the it's like this little off-campus sort of mall that they have like you can tell that it's where the student like when the students are like ah, i don't want to eat on campus i want to go off campus yeah it's like this this sort of new area and it had a moe's southwest grill burrito place it had a domino's it had a mcdonald's and it had a chick-fil-a and it looked exactly like the sort of like walkable mall that's been built in a thousand american cities in the last 15 years like with the brick and the glass and the aluminum like you could pick this thing up and you could move it fucking anywhere and it just it's the sort of thing that bums me out in the same way that like our goofy my insistence that everything is everything. Yeah. I think that everything is everything is connected to my complaint about how everywhere is everywhere now, what? where there is no unique flavor, no matter where the fuck you go. I went to Farmville, Virginia, which is an hour and a half south of here in the middle of absolutely fucking nowhere. And it looked like Asheville, North Carolina. Right. And, it, and it looked like Charlottesville, Virginia. And it looked like everywhere the fuck else. Right. Because everything is everything. It like two other places in the southeast is right. where it looked like. I, you name any goddamn city and it and it... Like the fact that you can go and you can walk in this little goofy walkable mall that looks like everywhere else, it and it has the same so fucking four goddamn franchised uh, fast food places. Isn't like, that kind of what we were talking yeah. about? That that Strode guy, like uh, it, I mean, yeah. maybe the roads not so much, but like all, everything's kind of set up in yeah, such a way where people, you can go drive through this country and you'll you'll be familiar with the lay of the land wherever yeah. you go. Uh, this. Uh, Past weekend, I was in uh, Chattanooga. It's a nice little town. But I noticed that basically it's just if there's a mountain or a beach, that's what will distinguish it. But everything else is like – It's just – it's the exact same. I've heard the same – like, oh, you got to go to Chattanooga. It's the same. I went to go to Chattanooga from Athens to see a concert. It's like, yeah, this place is just like fucking everywhere else. What are you talking about? Right, except you can go and you can see four states from this lookout (laughs) point or whatever. Six or seven. I thought – by the way. I've given Chattanooga short shrift, but uh, I thought it was just a regional kind of thing. But the people we met on the hike, one was from like rural, Rhode Island, someone was from Wisconsin. People are coming from far and wide to go to Chattanooga. Yeah, to go to a fucking Quiznos. <laughs> 
marathon. Anyway, I ran a half marathon, and then we came home and watched Bill Maher, for fuck's sake, oh, and fun. then went to bed. Well, you know, we get home from the half... It's too late to put on a... She ran a night half marathon. It's too late to put on a movie or we anything good. Like, what, 10.30? Yeah, it was like 10.30. We hadn't even eaten dinner yet. I made a goddamn quesadilla. Uh, and like, what? nothing you- is between here in Farmville. There's nothing. Yeah. And I, I turned on HBO, and it's like, well, there's... Polit- not politically incorrect. There's uh, Real Time, and it's got Andrew Sullivan, and it's got Katie Herzog, and it's got that lady who doesn't like sex from the New York Times, and I'm, uh, I'll watch this, I guess. <laughs> what? Is that what she's known as? Like, is it Frank? Remember, we talked about we talked about the uh, yeah, we talked about it. The op-ed in the New York Times where she's like, consent is the floor, and oh, also like yeah. your friends should all get together and shame the guy who you're sleeping with okay. for wanting to have a certain kind of sex with you yeah. that you shouldn't enjoy. You fucking weirdo! Like, no, lady, leave me alone. Yeah, <laughs> do what I want. And Bill Maher's interview with her was so fucking weird because he's sitting there. So fucking weird. He's sitting there and he's going, what's with fucking people and the what's sex that they want to have? And what, what is with porn is disgusting. I don't por- – I porn used to not be disgusting, but now, oof, not, porn bad. No. Anyway, his uh, – his opening monologue on a week that should have been easy to write an opening monologue. I know we've we've said this a half a dozen times. Man, his fucking jokes suck at the top. <laughs> I'm, Just I, I'm an episode behind, so I haven't caught his latest shitty jokes. But, God uh, awful. We started early tonight so that we wouldn't talk until eleven o'clock. Uh, is what is what the plan was, and now here we are. No, we would have talked till eleven thirty. It's eleven o'clock. It. Yeah, we there was no stopping me tonight, and it's I apologize for That's what why happened. I wanted to do this. I apologize for what happened earlier. What I really should have done is just started with the Dobbs decision because there was no avoiding me getting shouty and yelly. I don't know why you do this. You're bad at producing your show sometimes. <laughs> I disagree. Great show. <laughs> Episode 101. It's going to stand the test of time. <laughs> you got anything else for us tonight, Abe? Nope. Well, I guess that's all we've got for tonight, then. We will talk to you next time. Later. <laughs> Penetration theory. Social what now? And social penetration. You heard her. (laughs) And relational dialectics and interpersonal conflict and. Or it could just be a good movie. How does social penetration theory line up with Abe's uh, questionable use of the thumbs up behind full-bodied women out, out in the public? One time I was not aware the women were behind one me. Had time. Not one time. Abe, there are multiple photographs oh. of you doing that. It had been and repurposed. Not just, not just my bullshit Photoshop ones, by the way. I've only seen one original. I don't recall these other incidents.
It happened you know so much. It happened so much. It used to be a feature of going out with you. It was finding was you meme. behind a fat lady giving us a thumbs up. <laughs> the, fact, the fact that a picture Squatted existed. The oh. fact that a picture existed of you out with other people yeah. doing the exact same thing blew my mind. I thought this was just what we get when we get Abe, not what everyone gets when they get Abe. If if, if it weren't for the photo evidence I would not believe it I just uh, I don't remember the uh, the incidents spent all day on a stupid home improvement project that we can't really talk about on the show Why in case the kids end up Abe hearing get it. ready if you're not ready? No, we're ready. We're going to start well before the normal, like, 8.50 or whatever. You guys are doing a home improvement thing? Like some sort of shelf? No. Yeah, I'm building a... It's no. How dare it's you. not an improvement. How is it not an improvement? I mean, it's, it's, it's a room improvement. The definition of an improvement. <laughs> I wanted to build... How dare you? Both both. how dare you, Lori, and how dare you, Abe, <laughs> laughing at this uh, back and forth. It's a great exception to that. How dare you? It's <laughs> <laughs> a great exception to it. <laughs> it is quite an improvement coming. And it should be hard, it should be difficult, and we should have to fight for it. And the Supreme Court handing it out to us on a silver platter when they deem fit is not fighting for it. Can I jump in? Are you fine? I just, I, I get so, I get, I, I get really amped about this fucking shit, 